BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What is up, Gypsy gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast, and I'm super excited to bring you guys this one with Mike Sleeter. Sleeter is one of my favorite guests. If you haven't heard him on the podcast before, we had him on a couple of years ago. He was a KTM test rider for a really long time, and he was pretty much the the main test rider on the KTM 350 project. So he has a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of experience in the industry. And in terms of doing a three-hour podcast, nobody passes the time as quickly as Mike Sleater does. Uh, Today, we are brought to you by the Answer 2021 range. You would have seen this being worn on the backs of guys like Tyler Bowers, Alex Martin, Freddie Noren, Jimmy Dakotis, Ryan Villapoto, Nick Way, and of course, Mike Sleater himself. Uh, That new range has dropped in Australia, and it looks absolutely incredible. The guys at Answer have really nailed it in 2021 with their AR3 helmets, and in terms of price point, it comes in at an entry-level helmet, but when you dig a little bit deeper into the features of this helmet, you'll see that it really is punching above its weight. It meets both the ECE 22 safety standards as well as the DOT standard. It has three sizes to get that precise fit, and it also features that MIPS multi-directional impact system. It is well worth a look. You will see uh, the 2021 gear on the backs of guys like Jesse Dobson and Aaron Tanty here in Australia as well. That gear is available in Australia now, so head to your local dealer or online retailer now. We're also brought to you by the guys at 100% MX and their brand new Gen 2 goggles. Today, I'm going to be talking about that Racecraft 2, and man, this thing looks insane. I've worn the uh, the the original set of these goggles, and I was super impressed. I actually stole a pair out of Jackson's gear bag. Uh, they're really, really solid goggles, and that's why you're seeing guys all over the world run 100%. Uh, the Gen 2 features a 17.5% larger vertical field of view, improved nose fitment, dual-injected, wider outrigger system and it supports triple post tear-offs with a plush thermoform triple layer face foam to soak up that Aussie summer sweat. Also has a 45 millimeter wide silicon coated strap for maximum grip. These things are legit and it is why so many top pros all around the world choose to run 100%. Uh, we are also brought to you by the guys at MX Store, and if you type in 2021 answer onto that MX Store search tab, you will see that they have all of this gear in stock. You can head to mxstore.com.au. If you are a local to the Gold Coast, you can head in store, check out their epic new showroom, and if not, order before 3 p.m. and you will qualify for same-day shipping. We're also brought to you by the guys at Dry Times. Sammy and his crew have absolutely smashed this one out of the park. There has been no new innovation in the towel game in, well, forever. So Sammy has taken it upon himself to revolutionize the towel game. 
and you can check it all out at drytimes.com. And if you want to be one of the first people to buy one of these incredible new towels, you can use the code GYPSYGANG and get 15% off at checkout. Uh, We're also brought to you by the guys at Fist and Dixon. As always, Fist has just got new stock. Dixon is always pumping out stock. And if you use the code GYPSYGANG, it is going to get you 15% off at both of those web stores. Uh, Also, the guys at Rival Inc. are doing an insane giveaway when they hit 100,000 followers on Instagram. Uh, Also, the guys at Rival Inc. are doing an absolutely insane giveaway when they hit 100K on Instagram. The Mad Dogs are giving away a brand new CRF 110. Thing is insane. Unfortunately, I do not qualify for this giveaway, but I would love for one of the Gypsy Gang to win this thing. You can enter by heading to rivalinkdesignco.com and while you're there, pick up a set of them dope-ass Gypsy Tales graphics. We're also brought to you by the guys at Maxis. Sleater and I talk about the new Maxis tires in this podcast. Really interesting to hear from him. I didn't know that he was actually working uh, with those guys and kind of had a bit of a part to play uh, in some of these tires. So uh, pretty cool to hear his thoughts. We're also brought to you by the guys at Motorex Oils and Crick's Tweed, crickstweed.com.au if you are in the market for a new or used car. That's it from me. Thank you so much to everybody that listens. Uh, shoot me a DM on Instagram at Gypsy Tales Podcast. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And uh, yeah, good times. Thank you, everybody. Enjoy chapter 123 with Mike Sleep. <laughs> The Maxxis tyre for me, overall, is one of the best tyres, if not the best tyre I've ever ridden. <laughs> um, Alright, we're on. Alright, Mike Sleater joins us via a, uh, a FaceTime call, but the man himself, he's got the mic set up, he's got the whiteboard, he's making moves. I'm excited to have you on, bro. Yeah, man, it's been it's been a long time. I think a couple of years. I think since the last time we we spoke as Christmas, and now we're we're uh, a world apart, separated by a, a scamdemic. Yeah, dude, and you have no president as well, which is uh, got to be a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very strange times over here. Um, yeah, no, no, it's it's crazy. I I just try to keep my head down and worry about this weekend's uh, Vet World Championship. Oh, is that this weekend? Yeah, man, it's uh, practices today, and Ooh. then and um, like open practice. I rode there Tuesday a little bit. I rode the twenty twenty one Honda for swap on Tuesday. Um, did some media stuff for that, and then. So I brushed up a little bit on the track. I spent so many laps around that place. I'm not really concerned. And then racing Saturday and Sunday. So it's supposed to drizzle a little bit. It hasn't rained for like six months, but it's supposed to rain on race day. So it should be pretty fun. Dude, uh, that's on. I don't know if you've been following like the, all the dumbass shit that Sam and I have been doing. Um, but yes. we're, we're sort of, we've coined this new thing called semi-pro. 
and uh because essentially like <laughs> like we ain't pro but fuck we make a living off dirt bikes you know so i'm like we're kind of semi we're semi pro up in this bitch so we got a couple uh yeah we got a couple of ideas for things that we're gonna do and uh man when like you were there with uh Azza the first year that he did the vet worlds um yeah and then the next year i was there with him and he ended up winning and uh dude i was just like so inspired i wasn't even riding at that point but um i was like so inspired to like go and have a crack at that so i think me and sammy are gonna do the uh vet worlds at some point bro hopefully next year it's it's a it's a whole lot of fun i mean it, it is funny to see the guys like alessi taking it so serious like tony's with the stopwatch i mean it, it's kind of inept in their in their i was gonna say it's on, it's to on brand bro <laughs> yeah that's just they keep it consistent they're out there tuesday doing lap times and tuning ecus for like a a vet world's race but i can be i won't lie like when i raced coppins i was in the best form of part of my life when i raced him so it's just the season of life like when you get into your 30s now i'm racing i'll race a 30 and 40 pro i'm 40 now and uh, oh damn i'm old I'm old as shit. So, um, going into that, like it's a different season. I'm not that concerned. As you can tell, I literally bought, uh, there's a 30 pro 125 class on Saturday and I bought a bike two Damn. days ago. I bought it yesterday. I bought it yesterday. I'm building it tonight and tomorrow. I'm going to race it Saturday. That's so, the move. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll race the 450 as well, but no, it's, it's just a rad, like it's a lot more culture, kind of like a day in the dirt, but racing, you know, yeah. like more, there's there's beers afterwards maybe even between motos depending on what your style is <laughs> <laughs> dude uh so, i've yeah. been i've been pushing for the um for the whole 30 plus thing to happen here in australia and uh and we finally made it happen we did a race about a month ago it was actually fucking unbelievable too to be honest like we had such a fun crew of dudes on the start line and uh yeah, I think there was 16 of us. We only kind of made the class like a couple weeks before, but I'm hoping that that is uh, enough for some of the other, you know, clubs and that to actually get guys off the couch. Because, I mean, I just don't... I've said it on here a bunch of times. I guess I don't need to go too deep into it, but it's like, I don't want to race with cunts that still think they can be fast. And it's like, even if you are fast at 30, if you're racing 30 plus, you know that like, you still got a job on Monday and it's like, I want to be able to go to work. I don't want to get cleaned up. It's interesting. You say that when I raced the 30 pro class, um, for the first time. So that had been 10 years ago, unfortunately, um, Doug Dubach was like mid forties and he cleaned me out so bad. Like the first <laughs> lap down Mount St. Helens. And I'm like, I came in super fired up. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? This, this is the vet class, not the schoolboy class. But these guys come to play, right? Like they're pretty, they know their body. They know their equipment. They're pretty dialed in in their 30s. When you're early 30s, you either like kind of still having a lot of fun or you have new kids. So you're kind yeah. of like a lot of things going up. When you get into your late 30s, your life's kind of figured out. And maybe you have a little more selfish time to kind of, go to ride days on weeknights and whatnot. But no, I think I just realized that yesterday, actually from a friend of mine that, that you guys didn't even have a 30 pro class. It was 35 pro. So that's a big yeah. gap between racing pro and then, you know, what, tw 12 years later, essentially, if you race pro or 15 years later to, to be able to race for fun at a higher level, that's, that's a big gap. Well, the, the, like my thinking was, is like, I'm 32. So I'm on the lower end of it. Right. And this, 
I think 2008 was the last time I sat on a start gate, like behind a start gate for a motocross race. Like I've done day in the dirt and all that shit, but there's no actual, there's no start gate there. So 2008, bro. So that's like somebody that loves the sport. Like I love the fucking sport of motocross, but I don't yeah. do it because I just felt like there wasn't a home for me. Like I don't want to go race fucking clubman open. Like that's like the kill zone, no, bro. It's, you know what I mean? That's it is, like it is, it, it, I, no, I get, I get you, man. Like we're we're in the same like same season, right? Like two stroke world championships were a couple of weeks ago, or uh, yeah, a month ago. And I'm 40, but I'm still fast enough to get some guys away. And I'm in the mix in the top five, and I'm like, guys, just leave me alone. Like I just want to yeah. race, you know. And, yeah. But like Josh Grant, JG's killing dudes in front of me and smashing pipes, and you know, it's just a different. It's it's just like you know, the history repeats itself all over again when you're old as crap with gray hair, you know. But it's 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 um, I I'd like to hear that you you and the boys got a 30 class going over there because it, it's definitely um. It brings a good life. You you know, you, usually in your 30s, you're more you have more of a foundation. You have some money to buy the bike you want. You know, yeah. like when you're yeah. in your 20s, you're squirrely. You don't really you kind of lose that that tangible support from your family. So you're, yeah, it's, it's cool. That's good. Yeah, it was definitely uh, a thing that I just, I've really been trying to inspire like the less serious side and just like we're all in this to have a good time. But I just, you know, if I... I sort of, but think by the time I'm 35, I'm probably going to have like a kid and I'm probably, it's just the barriers to race by the time you're 35 just seem like a lot more than 30, like 30 to 35 seems like kind of the sweet spot where I'm still single. I've got a sick bike and I've got a bit of time and I can't, can actually do it. And you're right, like in your 20s, you're like scraping together to try and fucking keep the dream alive. But it's like, I'm living the yeah. dream. Let me just enjoy it for a bit yeah, now. Yeah. Give me five years yeah. to enjoy this shit. Yeah, but then when you, like you said, you have kids, when you, you have kids and they're old enough to sit on your bike on the starting line and, you know, I have my wife by my side and like, we're such a, we do, we go racing with me as, as a family. I, my young, my oldest son races now, he races 65s and we go as a family, whether I'm racing or he's racing and it's all for fun because I'm, I'm not like necessarily working for the industry anymore and I'm doing something different. So I buy my bikes and I, I get to have a lot more. I can be who I am, who, who I am as a person, not have to wear like a company hat per se when I'm on the starting line. So it's cool yeah. to have your family and have your kids and you know, your, your trophy wife with the umbrella around you. It's, it's a lot <laughs> more fun. I think to be honest. You've made it, bro. That's just, you've made it. You've, you've completed the life cycle in moto. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's been crazy. It's been crazy. But I'm not done yet. I don't know. I love I love it, man. I love moto. It's it's what made me who I am. It, it's made me, it's given me my, my family. It's, 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 uh, I'll never turn my back on the sport, that's for sure. Yeah, man. I think we've been sort of honestly channeling some similar vibes over here. Like, I think that the over, I mean, the, the podcast is what's really given me like new life in moto you know like i just looked at it as such a to me it was just a business you know like i'd spent i left i got to america in 2010 and it's like that's 10 years ago man and it's just a just been this fucking grind until i left of just like <laughs> i just want to extract fucking blood out the stone you know what i mean but now yeah, it's like yeah. i'm just kind of appreciating the stone itself yeah yeah no, I, I could understand that. You were over here, like you and your crew worked so hard, so many, like 
you really never stopped working when you as you're here. It, it was a when you woke up, so you went to sleep, you always had to be on, um, and that's tough to sustain, right? I mean, you have friends that still do that. I I do as well, and it, it's just a tough way to sustain it and not and not learn to love it. Yeah, and I think that if you're not appreciating it while you're doing it too, like I definitely, I didn't even fucking ride while I was in America, and I was around <laughs> like all the best yeah. bikes, all the best guys, the best chat, yeah. like, I, and I just, it wasn't even in my mind, and now I'm just like, fuck, I really, I kind of blew that part of it. Yeah, but you, at least you get your second chance, right, and, and you're in your home country as well. Yeah, that's well, hey, and fucking, it's a lot easier to crash in Australia than it is to crash in America, <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> oh. I can't. Oh man, oh, I hope I don't find that out soon. Um, how how are you like your body? Because I had a crash in July that I'm still like literally I'm just not back from, and you had that that massive one. So what was it like coming back from that injury? I think it was when you first came on the podcast, you were still sort of dealing with it. How long did it take you to yeah, get back that from was, that? That was that was almost like right in the open, like, like yeah, yeah, ago. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was, I got hurt in November and my first race back was in uh, Moto was June Mammoth. And I remember wow. racing and it took me a long time. Like it was pretty soon for like, it was a quick recovery for what happened, but I was pretty fragile. Like as far as mentally, like I didn't really want to take risks and it just slowly wears out. <laughs> I mean, just the, the little bit of second guessing wears away and like I just took my time and um, my body, I still have a lot of nerve damage in my, in my lungs from the, the surgery to reconstruct my lung. But as far as like mobility and strength, I, I probably could be stronger than I was then. I've taken a lot more time, like figuring out my body. I still race mountain bikes and cycling is very active. So mm. I do have like a sense of, uh, when I breathe and I have like a, a very gnarly, um, almost like a, like a surfboard rash on my chest inside. And when they reconstructed my lung, but um, as far as performance, I don't have any restrictions. I'm pretty, I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, that, that's the, yeah, that's the go. Like this, yeah, this has been my first like real injury in a long time, and it's just like it just has not got better. Like the just daily pain, like it's just a. I mean, you could say like technically the injuries are healed um, in terms of you know there's no more tears and all that shit, but it's just mm -hmm. like fuck man the hangover from this one is just like literally daily pain like every day wake up exact same pain exact same spot yeah i mean it, that's tough to get over especially when you're riding and loading up and it's it's, it's riding guards so many injuries you get your knee braces your boots you got all these things so like it's almost sometimes easier to ride than it is to like just just to get out of bed which is crazy to think right Dude, that's what everyone's like because I've got the the <laughs> like jujitsu stuff. Like jujitsu really fucking hurts. Like if I train, I'm sore. Like I get up the next day, I'm sore. Mm. While I train, I'm sore like for days after. And then all the boys are like, "Oh, I can't believe you're still riding moto." I'm like, "Dude, moto doesn't hurt me unless I do unless I fucking crash or whatever." Then, but mm -hmm. like to actually ride itself, like I feel better riding than I do kind of anything else, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse because sometimes you don't take the right time to get the mobility back, get the stretching, get all those things that are important, you know, to, to sustaining it. Like moto is so one dimensional, like mm. you're, you're, you're you very know, your, locked your shoulders, in. you're locked in. Right. And, and, and whatnot. But I think it's really important to, 
to do your stretching and, and, and you, you know, a lot of guys train on bicycles like myself and, and it's a hobby as well. Right? I don't just do, I don't train per se for moto. I just like, to, I like to run my bicycles. Um, but it's a very similar position. Your head down, you're looking up, you're, you're, arc, you're rolling your shoulders over, you're, want, you're pedaling your legs, a very similar motion. So it's important to try to foam roll and do all those things. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I do it as I should, but I know that's what I should be doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's been that's been one of the big things for for me is just like constantly on that foam roller but fuck it's so hard to stay motivated man when you're like <laughs> It is. It is, man. Huh? Like I struggle I struggle with like those like I I want to hang with my kids and I want to do other things besides roll around on a piece of hard foam but it is. I think the key is is, is maintenance. It's like our bikes, right? Like you, you don't, yeah. if we just keep riding our bikes and riding our bikes, and then don't maintain them. They're gonna pow. They're gonna blow up. But I think our body's much the same. It's just having the, the um, you know, the the foresight to just do it, just to, just to put your ass on the ground and roll around in your glutes and your hammies and your IT man and just get it done. Yeah. Um which which way should we take this because there's about a trillion things i want to talk to you about have you got have you got anything burning that you want to talk about i can just throw it to you to start or because i got a bunch um, of shit i reckon we could talk about yeah man I, I you know what honestly like one thing that is pretty crazy and you didn't even know this is that i'm moving over to Oz, right that's oh. that's heavy for me yeah you that's said really that heavy. the other day yeah yeah i'm, I'm moving down to Oz in shoot after the first of the year that the kids got enrolled in school this morning actually wow so, um that's yeah real it's, it's real it's really exciting um kind of torn like i'm nervous obviously but um just because you know i'm a co-founder of the pinnacle nutrition group and we've been doing really well and it's a small team of four of us and we've been grinding and and we're getting to like climbing the mountain climbing the mountain and then like I'm like, yeah, this, this, like you said, when we opened up, like we don't have a president right now. The whole thing is my kids haven't been in school since March. They've been at home. No, like California's not going to school. It's not fair to them. My wife, it's like groundhog day every day. And having the opportunity, I, I applied for my residency about two years ago in Oz and I have it and we're just gonna, we're, we're gonna make a change and we're out. And um, uh, house goes up for sale next week and it's real and Dang. start a new life in mx stores distributing uh the png products so i'll start you know kind of hustle on that and kind of continue what i'm doing here in oz and I'm, I'm nervous but really excited at the same time it's been a you know we talked about it we were going to do it and then my residency took a, my residency took a lot longer than we anticipated um just with time and now now we can use it so it's pretty cool i'm excited Dude, I'm excited. Holy shit. Yeah, that's going to be sick. <laughs> so, we'll be able to, so we'll be able to race a 30 pro class together. So that'll be cool. Dude, I, I feel like, <laughs> man, I feel like we'll be able to do a lot of cool stuff together. It, I think that, yeah, you know, like I, I, I'm not sure if people in Australia know, I mean, I guess if they listen to the first podcast, they know a lot of stuff that you've done. But man, I honestly feel like you'll be a real asset to the, to the Australian industry. Like if you want to get into the industry and sort of, you know, like, uh, it's not like you got to go fucking balls deep and, you know, really get in there. But I just I, think I, that having, having you around is, uh, it's going to be a, a step forward for us, I think, in, in a bunch of different ways. And you might be able to help me set up my bike. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, I'm, I'm excited, honestly. Like, I have no agenda, right? Like, I want to go and I want to, 
I have a YZ250, a YZ125, and a YZ450, and I'm putting them in a container, and I'm going to show up with bikes. I don't have – I'm not going to really try to find a job, like, per se, like or working with an OEM or a team or, like, doing anything. I'm going to let it kind of come to me, but I'm not opposed to anything, right? I want – I'm moto. I love it. Like, um, my kids' bikes coming over will be at club days, and I'm, like, really excited. I've got slower pace. Um mm not that rat race and go into, you know, the races on the sunshine coast and go into Coulomb and go into places that like I've been to, but not been to as a, as, as a dad. Right. And like yeah. getting ingrained and then working with like some of the guys that I know, like Mike Ward and, and just kind of getting more ingrained in it. It's going to be really fun. Right. I'm really excited. I, I, cause I have no agenda. Nothing's in, 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 in you know, other than just building P and G, um, Australia is my goal, right? But that mm. goes along with moto and cycling and jujitsu. It's a nutritional brand, right? It goes all in hand. It's it's going to be really exciting. So that's that's the biggest thing that I have going on right now, besides just my daily my daily workload and and balancing a family and life. So yeah, that's that's that. I don't know what it's going to take, but I'm coming. I'm I'm going to come in and be locked up in a hotel at some point for two weeks, and then get out and start life. So when, when do you guys move? Sarah's going to move with the kids in the middle of January and then start school February 1st. Um, like I said, they got, they got enrolled and accepted. And then I'm going to come probably mid February at the soonest, you know, yep. at, the, at the absolute soonest, but that, that, that's the plan. Um, and then from there, yeah, that, that's what's where I'm doing. It's going to be crazy you'll be able to jump on some supercross companions with us. Oh, without a doubt. I would love it. <laughs> I would love it. It's going to, I'm such a super fan with like the, the way the guys are racing, the guys are riding right now. It's unreal, right? Like what, what's happening in the industry and, and the, the moves people are making, it's going to be a pretty amazing season. I think. Oh, have you got your phone there? Did you go on my story and watch this video that I like, it's on my, yeah, it's just on my story. It's a Tim Geyser on the weekend. Oh, at Lommel, sorry. Have you seen this video? Well, he went through the sand, the, the yeah. sand of him going through the, Yeah. Yeah, Pete, Pop, uh, Pete Fox posted it too, right? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, amazing, amazing. What that the guy, like... fuck is going on there, dude? He looks like <laughs> he's floating. <laughs> I had to watch yeah, it like four times. I was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Yeah, it's crazy like how smooth um, that looks. But I'll be honest, like going into the GP stuff um, – What's interesting watching the GP is how much those guys crash. I know how tricky those tracks are in Europe, and they're hard and they're more dynamic than US. They're kind of a little more dynamic, I think, than the typical Australian track. But oh, wait, wait. at the same, but the they are sketchy. But the guys crash all the time. I figure, like, I mean, Geyser crashes every weekend gnarly, and he still wins the title, right? And it's like if if you can't do that in America, like you just get to be way more calculated. So. I don't know what to take from it, but those guys just are not scared to just put themselves on the ground, you know, mm. every weekend, you know, it's, it's wild. Well, let's, let's start then with the America versus Euro debate, because yeah. I, I honestly, I fucking love the AMA motocross. I've <laughs> been to all those tracks. I love those tracks. I absolutely love the riders. I know pretty much everybody on the start line. I've got a lot of people to cheer for. But mm -hmm. I just have found myself not really wanting to watch the AMA motocross. Like, uh, there's there's some of it that I'm like really stoked for, but it's just it doesn't pull me to like get up in the morning and watch it live like I used to. I'm sort of 
content to watch the highlights and that's never ever been the case for me but in europe i'm like really down to sit and watch those motos now and one of the my big takeaways for for that this year was just the fact that like i could visibly see that the tracks in europe uh the tracks in america are fucking smooth and it's sort of almost like a bit disappointing like i kind of want to see dudes do shit i just could never even do and i feel like the national tracks this year it's just i don't know it just didn't have the same vibe to it yeah i mean you mean well let's start off with they had how many rounds at loretta lens which is a 85 track super mini mm. track i mean i mean i get covid I, I get that like covid aside you know what i mean like i get there's some stuff that kind of went down and that was purely because of covid um so like that aside but just in terms of yeah, just the tracks themselves. It just seemed like every race was just this super highway, you know? Yeah, it, it was definitely... I think Paula actually shaped up pretty good, I'll be honest. Like, Paula was quite dynamic because you had, like, the dirt and the sand, like, lower, the lower, so the west side of the track, and then towards the top, you had actually rocks and some chuckles. Yeah. Um, but it, it, they do cater to the rider, where I think the um, GP tracks cater to the promoter. They, they, they build the track for what they want. They don't really care, right? It's like, this is what the track is. This is what you're going to race. And they actually get a lot more time on the track. Maybe that's what it is. I yeah. think the GP, the GP riders do a lot more laps before the actual motos. Um, yeah. So I think that could be a contributor in why the GP tracks are so much rougher. Um, I think the depth within, like, there's a few standouts too in America where, like, Europe, you have there's about five guys that were a little bit closer than say two, right? Yeah. So, and, and I don't know, it's it just I, I'm not impressed with I'm impressed with the willingness to crash by the Europeans and um, <laughs> and their and their and their and their speed, but I'm not impressed with the racecraft. The racecraft's garbage, in my opinion. They crash mm. all the time. They're extremely injured. Like to say Jeffrey Hillings is one of the best ever is false, in my opinion. He's not. He cra- he doesn't finish. He hardly finishes series. He'll miss three rounds. If you miss three rounds in the states, you're not winning the title. In in my opinion, right? Mm. Um, no, yeah. I so, mean, that's so, pretty. I'd say that's pretty fair to say. He is fast, but he's not maybe the fastest, like at, you know, in the world in motocross. But he's not the best, right? Mm. He's not the best. I think. You know, Ricky Carmichael's the best ever. He's the fastest and most consistent. But Hurlings and these guys, I mean, they're they're missing races after race because their their tracks are more demanding. I'll give them that. They're they're rougher. They're nastier. They're they're tougher. So I mean, but they're willing to go the speed that maybe our guys don't. And then take into consideration that you know our guys are racing 16, 17, 18 rounds of Supercross mm. before that. And then they have their deals done in Vegas before, and they maybe cruise through that. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying they do, but it just seems like that could be a reason why. Yeah, the hurlings thing's interesting, man, because I think that if you look at just pure speed on like the gnarliest tracks in motocross, I don't think there's a guy that beats hurlings if it's just like a straight up sort of. If, if that's like the metric, but you're right, man. Like Tim Geiser's won as many world championships as Jeffrey Hurlings and no one's throwing yep. around Tim Geiser as the best ever in motocross, right? Like Hurlings, I, I should, agree. Hurlings could be a 10 time world champion if he didn't hit the deck in six of those world championships and put himself out. Yeah. I mean, did, was it two years ago he raced with like a broken femur right away. I mean, he just, he's, he's a 
tough son of a bitch, but he doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, he, he has to take, throws caution to the wind, right? Where Caroli definitely takes his time. He's going to be one of the most decorated of all time because his, his, he, he doesn't get hurt every weekend. Right. Mm. Um, and then I think Prado is, is the, you know, is the guy that's coming through that it's a shame he got COVID cause he was coming through and he had a chance, a legitimate chance and he was on a roll. Mm. So, um, and he doesn't yeah, crash I mean, a lot. No, exactly. He I, he's beautiful to watch. I'm just I'm actually surprised he did that. You know, the TLD KTM thing didn't come to fruition for the. I think there was a battle between him coming over and the GPs wanting him. You know, the global team wanting him from KTM, but he he could. I think he could ride Supercross quite well by how he rides. Yeah, I mean, he looks yeah. like a lot like Marv when he rides. Like I, you see, oh, he's, you he's, see a lot of those vibes in him. Yeah, he's so efficient on the bike and smooth and. And he, he he rides so well. I mean, he's he, he's who if you want to model yourself how to ride. I mean, he's probably a buck forty, buck thirty. I'm a f- fire breathing dragon. Yeah. Absolutely man- managing the power like it's a two fifty F. So that's kudos to that kid. And he speaks so well. He's a good looking kid. I think he's the future of of the GPS for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a point where uh, like the GPS have to be able to retain superstars. You know what I mean? Like you, you kind of can't just have the USB like this golden sort of allure and anybody that wants to be anybody uh, wants to go to the US. And I think that's probably if we look at what Hurlings has done for the sport in Europe, I think that's probably one of his biggest contributing factors is the fact that he actually decided to stay. And that was never like a, a thing, you know, because imagine like if Ferranda stayed marvin stayed like and then you chuck those two dudes in there with hurlings prado like Ferrandis in the 450 class of the mxgps man that's a fucking scary dude too i completely agree i think her Ferrandis, if he you know if he was able to do what he's doing here on a 450 I, he'd almost be untouchable because his consistency his racecraft but then you go and like we talked about before is are those tracks, the room for air is like so small, they're harder based or sandier. It's not really, you don't get a red bud in Europe, right? Like you no. just don't get a bud, a red bud or some loamy soil. It's, it's either hard packed with, with stones or sand that just never go bottom, you know, it's, 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 you know, but I mean, you look at it, like there's how many top in the top 10, I'm looking at points now, top 10 riders and, the um mxgp class right but it's only 25 guys right mm. like so there's the depth is in, in the overall classification small but the the, the guys that can win depth, is like, quite yeah yes it's, it's quite big but you know like you said geyser eats it big crashes each weekend right and then and he still comes back to go 4-1 where i don't think anymore in the states you can have a big crash and get 4-1 i, mm. I just i don't think you can i, I don't think it's possible yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And what do you think about the tracks then? Because I think that, like, for me, every single track in America is prepped the exact same. The same bumps form, the same ruts form, the same, it, everything. And again, I'm the biggest fan of these tracks. Like, when you are at Red Bud, it's like, fuck off. This is bullshit. When you're at Bud's Creek, it's just bullshit. 
And it's just the appreciation and the wow factor of just how incredible these circuits are is so obvious to you. So it's like, I'm not saying anything bad about the facilities and the track that I think they are the best in the world. But I just think that they're getting prepped the exact same. And it's like each week, it's like copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. We're at a different place, but it just nothing looks different anymore to me. Um, I would agree, except this year, the Redbud one was super hard based. Like it was mm. very hard based and choppy. They didn't do that typical big rip with the sawdust that, that you're, that you're familiar with. If you go back to look at where, um, like, uh, J Mart, um, took out Hunter, right. Or, um, in that, no, was it who took out who in, before the leaps? No, it was a Shimoda, the Shimoda, no, Masterpool took out Jet in that turn, mm. right. He fell in front of them. The track didn't develop as deep, and the and the, the the base of the track was extremely hard. Where like you have destinations, they ripped it deep, and it was so nasty and loamy. So that track was typically harder base than normal. Um, and even even the um, um, Millville track was a harder base. Yeah, that but was they got it, it, it looked it looked this, like, but to your point, it was narrow. Where um, took a one over the bars, that little triple up the hill. Holy crap! Dude, right, like yeah. that little. <laughs> that was that. That's stupid. You don't need to have that stuff there. I mean, when I say stupid, it wasn't a dangerous jump per se. Um, it was just like it's not needed. You could have some rollers up there and not have a jump, right? So I think they that what they do is to your point is like I think in GPS they have a track makes their own track. And then in America they had, uh, I think Shane Schaefer did Millville and Shane Schaefer did a couple other tracks. So you have a style, yeah. right? They hire a guy and they have a style and um, that's what they do. They, they, they try to accommodate so many things in one. And I think you obviously, you've seen it. It's like, it's a stereotypical mulch and rip and water and deep soil in the start. Um, and then if it's hard, add some sand. Exactly. I mean, Loretta Lynn is almost a, half a sand track now. Yeah. Right. That was not. That's not like how it used to be. And it's. I think the sand becomes of a less maintenance thing. Right. It can mm. just develop, mm. and it gets rough. But I think that's what they 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 try to do. And I don't know. It's it's a very dynamic, interesting dynamic from you like seeing it and me seeing it and then talking about it. I do see that what you're saying. Um, I think the tracks that we did miss this year was like the Unadillas, right? Like those yeah. natural tracks. Um, Unadilla's Southwick's not the same Southwick it's ever been, but it's still more of a natural track. Mm -hmm. um, but it'd be nice to implement. And Hangtown's usually nasty, right? Hangtown yeah. usually is pretty nasty, but yeah. that wasn't. I hate that place. That track, <laughs> yeah, that track. I was, I, as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, that's your joint, right? You love that shit, <laughs> especially on a one two five. Yeah, yeah. I, like honestly, the track's cool. I just suck there. That's yeah. the like, I, I think... just suck. So. Hangtown's probably the best yeah. track on the circuit to watch, though. Uh, from a fan. I agree. It's, I agree with you. It's like it's it, you, it, it's a pretty big facility, but you can see it on either side of the hill and mm -hmm. see everything. Yeah. Right. No, it's. A, I missed Hangtown this year. Um, as far as like watching and, and spectating, and like I said, I'm not dogging the track. I suck there, but it was, and it's a tough track to win on. So, hell, keep it rolling. You know, I mean, Glen Helen. It sucks that MX Sports and Glen Helen can't kind of come to an agreement because that is the staple of American motocross in my opinion. But yeah. I mean, whatever, Paula, Paula's risen up and, and, and taken the reins and they've done a good job for what they have. You know, I think it's only going to get better if they continue to do it, but it still can't be Glen Helen. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, like I feel like Glenn, Glenn Helen, Redbud, Unadilla, like there's some iconic shit that literally everybody that rides motocross on planet Earth knows about those tracks. Whether you're right now just in the YouTube age and watching like edits online mm -hmm. or you're my dad's age and you've got MXA mags in the fucking 70s and 80s. You know what I mean? Like that's how iconic they are. It's sort of, you kind of have to go there. I agree, and then, and not having Washougal this year as well, like having the, mm. the 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 dark clay, the shadows. But they did, to your Let's, point, bring in a lot of sand. They brought a lot of sand in that one section where they that's not that has no sand in that area, right? So they do try to do some stuff that's like not characteristic to like the home soil. Yeah, and I think that you know, let's just look at all the tracks that you just mentioned. So you just mentioned Glen Helen, super unique. Washougal, super unique. Unadilla, super unique. So like. They're the tracks that you just, and, and the, to the point with Hangtown as well, is I think that Hangtown changes no, every, year to year. Like you never get the same Hangtown. There's something about that dirt there that no matter how you prep it, you really don't know how it's going to form up. And I think that, that I agree. It's, it's, it's quite unique in that sense. And I think you could prep Hangtown the same way 10 years in a row and get 10 different tracks or eight different tracks. And a lot of that has to do with the weather up there because it could be mm. like 120 degrees yeah. Fahrenheit or it could be raining, right? We've yeah. seen it both ways. So it's like, I think whatever the weather does early, if it's a dry spring, then you're going to get a very, um, you know, different soil than if you had like a wetter spring up north in Northern California. So, yeah, it's, it's I think, and, then, and as you're saying this, you're mentioning these tracks, and this is no dig at MX Sports because if it wasn't for MX Sports, we wouldn't have had Outdoor Nationals. Um, but they, they're monopolizing all the tracks. Like Ironman's pretty much their facility. Loretta mm. Lens is their facility. And that's how they got away with using all these tracks that were, it was, that's how they got away with doing the outdoors. But when they have the same crew and the same staffing and the same, you know, Mount Morris is their facility, right? They have all these facilities that they control, which once again, this is not a knock on them, but that's their deal where dirt diggers are, is the sanctioning body for, or the track owners for Hangtown, they prep it one way, and the Huffmans run Washougal, they prep it one way, mm. and the Unadilla crew preps it one way. So the, any MX Sports track is going to be prepped very similar to any other MX Sports track, right? Um, and that I think that's the bottom line, is MX Sports is monopolized outdoor motocross because they do a good job. And, and I think they, they just take the path of, when I say least resistance, not as being lazy, they just yeah, have no, a crew. Yeah, I was about they, to say the they, same thing, yeah. It's not a lazy path. It's just like, we know this works. Let's continue to do this. Let's not take a risk. Let's grow the sport. And I, I said, I'm not knocking MX sports, but they have a recipe and a playbook and they use that playbook to the best of their, their knowledge. You know, they're very small lean program for what they do. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, it's sort of natural that everybody wants to go that way in terms of the riders kind of want to know what they got to expect and what they got to train for. And then the team managers want to know what their setups are going to work for. Like people don't, you know, to your point of path of least resistance, like Roger DeCosta doesn't want to have to deal with like extreme setup changes at every single track. And the riders don't want to have to deal with different conditions and different tires. And, and I think that, mm -hmm. you know, to circle back to the GPs, like, Man, those boys, I reckon, would be just chasing, like constantly chasing setups, constantly chasing, you know, different uh, 
I guess like feelings with the bike and you know, one's going to work great here, but not great here. And I think that that's why you see so much like probably crashing for one to, to your point. I hadn't really noticed it, but as soon as you said, it, I'm like, yeah, they fucking car wheel a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, they do. And then, you know like, what else? Like, they fucking... like younger gear, gear, he crashes every weekend, massive, right? Like something happens and he gets yes. up and he like, you know, um, it, it's insane. Like, it's insane how much these guys are willing to put themselves on the ground. But, like, they just keep going. I mean, I'm, like I said, it's it's insane. But your point on setup, like, you can't – I've ridden Lomel, and that is the most unique, demanding track I've ever ridden um, that but never stops like, developing. You looked like Geyser, though, when you wrote it, right? That video we are talking about. You <laughs> oh, yeah. Over, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, when I was riding next to the track, I looked like Geyser, right? Like, it was <laughs> – I I've can't even look that smooth I, in the pits. <laughs> when, I, um, I, when I rode there, I, I rode there with Everts, actually, and um, when he was at KTM. And to see – to try to see Everts' lines for about two seconds was like watching him, you know. Um, it, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. What, How, was, uh, what was that experience like riding Lommel with Stefan Evitz? Mind-blowing. Like, I woke up in this little Belgium, like, literally g drove into Belgium and then woke up into uh, some beautiful little, you know, suburb of, you know, Belgium. Clean, they're washing the streets with hoses and it's super quaint. And we drive to the track and it's like everyone's having a coffee. And then, I'm like, well, let's go ride. Like, oh, we don't ride till like, 12. And then... I get out there and it's smooth as glass. I'm like, this isn't that bad. Like, there's not even a bump. How rough, rough is it going to get? And literally, they, they do a frame swap on the bike. We were testing frames at the time. And I get back out there and I did not know even where to go. The <laughs> bumps were the size of – the sand was the size of Volkswagen bugs. And just and, – and Everest was like, oh, that's easy, man. Just follow me. And, like, he just was laughing. He had been, like, laughing so hard his stomach hurt when we were riding. Um but he did help me a lot when I wasn't racing, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I mean, like I wasn't racing a little more there. I was testing. So like, it was just cool to learn. And I, it was, every lap was better. And that kept the testing fun. Right. I, I got to learn and try to be better on the bike and set the bike up. And when we were testing there, just so people know, we were testing frame geometry, but we weren't testing suspension settings. We were doing engine durability. Right. So like Lomo, like that's where KTM and Husky and now gas, gas and Husky does all their, uh, durability in the sand because it's so hard on the bike right mm. like it's so like if you can eat your engine to last at lomo for 90 minutes you know just you're you're, you're good right mm. you're good with that that's so, interesting yeah. oh sorry keep going no yeah it's just everts is, is a first class guy and and everything just seems like, one thing about him is he just doesn't understand how it's not easy to you mm -hmm. right like like well, why, why can't you do that it's just this easy and it's like, okay, dude, like, I'm not you, you're not, I'm not a multi-time world champion, but I'm willing to check it out and learn, you know? <laughs> and, and, and that's where he was cool. Like if you showed effort and you showed willingness to listen to him, cause he is one of the greatest of all times. Um, I feel is, is, uh, you just listen and learn and try. He was really receptive to helping. And that's why he was so influential at KTM. Did you pick up a lot like technically in terms of your writing? through that those sessions with him or not real i'll be honest not really because i i just i i was so overwhelming like i was holding my breath managing the track and like trying taking it in and also working on a bike that 
I was, I was, I, I knew I wasn't ever going to really ride or race those kind of tracks. Right. I was there for work and, and, and just the experience with like was in itself a, enough. Right. Like mm. if there ever came to a track with big jumps, he'd always, I'd always jump them first with him. Right. When we were doing photo shoots for like magazine for the, the brochures and whatnot, I'd always have to jump him first. Cause I rode supercross and he was, his best finish was better than mine in Supercross, but he said he sucks, right? Because mm. he only did it a couple times. But yeah, it's interesting. Um, uh, one fun, funny story about Everts is we were in Belgium at a track, and it was a really tight, tight clay, hard packed track. Um, and there's really is a club day, practice, open day, and he we were testing, and he had a crash coming down a straightaway and broke his wrist and was out cold. And oh, literally, no. there was. Pro- yeah, there was probably like 250, 300 riders there on a club day. It packed. And you could hear it a pin drop when Stefan was on the ground. Like the whole is like, it was like God had, had, had crashed. Right. And <laughs> Dude, I bet. he was in a, he, he was in a bad way. His wrist was dislocated and broken. And, um, you know, it was, it was crazy. Like that, that, that he stopped riding pretty much a lot after that. Like he doesn't ride very much. It was a pretty big injury on his wrist, but to see him crash and, He's so smooth, and it was really mind blowing to see a guy of that stature and that influential in the global market just laying on the ground and in the the public just like shocked, like numb, right? It was it was it was crazy. Yeah, that that would have been a hectic experience. What, <laughs> it was crazy. What um when you use a test and frames and stuff, what uh are they like bolting in a whole new frame or is there other shit that they're doing that can just like change the geometry of the frame itself? Great question. There's two things they do. There is a frame that actually looks like a, um, that has, uh, you can bolt races. It's a huge head tube and they can adjust, adjust the, 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 the distance from the gas cap to like the, the top tube length out. Right. Mm. And they could have these big, huge spacers, and that was just for comp- like to get geometry. But then when we were testing like frame bin, like bin- different pieces and different materials and different widths, they would do a whole frame and they got it down. They could do a whole frame change in 45 minutes if they started with the foot pegs in. Like all the frames had foot pegs, cotter keys in and like little like the hose, the hoses lo- mm. um, in line. And they'd take everything out and they'd have it a bike from on the stand to framed and back running in 45 minutes. Yeah, that's insane, dude. Yeah, it was pretty. That was pretty cool. Like that was a cool experience to see um, um, how that uh, how that would all work out. So, with uh, I wanted to talk to you about some testing stuff. Um, so I just got a three fifty. Shout out to my boy. Best Slater. bike. Be- best bike ever. Yeah, I totally. I don't agree. ride. I don't ride one. I don't ride. I don't ride one right now. But it's arguably one of the best bikes ever. I, I agree. It's like hard to beat it. So twenty twenty. If you've got a, if you're listening to this podcast and you've got a twenty twenty KTM three fifty, what are the advice? Is the advice from the god of the three fifty, Mike Slater? What What do you do um, to the stock bike? And then what do you do to take the stock bike that bit further? I would say like the 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 air fork is, is hated because of not because of how Cowie messed their air fork up. I don't think the air forks that bad personally, or I don't think, I think it's good. Mm. I would run like from like the average guy's weight, say like in pounds, like 150 to 170, I'd run like 10.6 bar cause it heats up to What's 2. That? 2 bar. In so PSI. in pounds, let me, let me check. 
Because um, I've gone a whack set, like whack to what most people think, but it was uh, I rode with Wade Hunter um, the other day, and then he rode my bike, and he was saying that like I was having to like really force myself over the front of the bike, like in mm-hmm. in deep ruts and stuff like that, and I felt like I was like pulling myself over the front. And, uh, and yeah, he- so you you would want to run 147 pounds. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me see. Um, you, I think you'd want to run 100, 153 psi. Yeah, see, that feels way too hard to me, dude. And it just feels yeah, like so it you- doesn't it doesn't set down. So I put the forks yeah, yeah. like three three notches through the um, yeah through so the you're clamps. Like, you're like an you're like invisible three. So there's two lines then you go like invisible three. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then probably run 10.4. Like, so you'd run, what are you running for pressure? 120. 120. Let me see. Let me do the math. So like 10.4 would be. But see, we don't have Glenn Helen. We don't have really big bumps and shit. You well, know? that's, that's so KTMs are extremely sensitive on balance, right? Um, like if you have the balance right and turning and whatnot. So, um, we just, my partner in PNG, Chad, we just did KYB internals on his, uh, KTM and man, that is bitching. Enzo did that over here. Um, we dropped KYB internals and that's like the next step. But honestly, I, like you said, 10.4, 10.2 to 10.4. Cause it, um, if you're not riding Coulomb or a sand track, you would want to run a softer so you can turn it and you get that front end traction. Um, but I think stock gearing is good. An ECU map, like if you have a, a Vortex, you can really get a lot of power out of the Vortex um, ignition. Um, and honestly, pipes and mufflers for the KTM stuff, you don't really need them. They look cool. I always mm. ran them because they look cool and they sound cool, but they're, they're so good standard. Like it's hard to beat them. Um, I, I, there's not much to do. I wish there was some magic things I could tell you, but there's really not a lot you can do to those bikes. Like they're so good stock. They're so good. And like I said, I don't ride, you know, everyone knows I don't ride them anymore. Mm. So it's, they're just that good. I mean, I'm, I'm working on the 2021 Honda 450 now mm. and that needs a lot. It needs a lot of work. That thing's way off. Yeah. That was sort of, uh, yeah, I, I want to get into that, that next, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've absolutely loved the, the, the 350. And, uh, so I got a press bike off KTM this, this year. Yep. Um, but I just think I'm going to buy the fucking thing, to be honest. Like I want to, I want to do another, another full sort of year on it. And I'm sort of just now getting it to the point where like, I feel really, really good on the thing actually as well to run enough an auto clutch. Oh, you're running the, uh, like the recluse mm-hmm. or, or, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Swaps a big guy with those. I can't do it, man. I, yeah, well, I don't, you're I good. Don't... You're actually good at that. <laughs> <laughs> you're good at that. No, but, but, but I, I get it. Like, I, I think that's really neat. There's a, there's a product for everyone. I try to, the, the, um, recluse way back in the day when the four strokes had a bunch of engine braking. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and to get it to free up and, and the clutch pulsated a lot in your fingers when you use it, but they've improved them so much. So I think it's really neat that like, um, you know, you can use them swap uses them all the time. Dom Mata has a recluse yeah. in all his bikes. Yeah. So when, it, 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 they are. When was the last time you used one? Um, I used one on his Husky 350. Actually, it was, it was not bad. Like if he didn't tell me, he didn't have one. I would have just thought maybe the setting or something like, you know, but it, it's just, I don't know. Mentally. I just, I don't feel I need it. And yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I'm like I said, I'm not hating on them. I just, I, I don't feel I need that. 
that yeah. that auto the auto clutch for off road if I'm in the bush you're riding like rocks and stuff for sure I'd use one that's that's for sure yeah I um I just essentially want to take like one variable out of play and you know to me like in terms of getting like getting super tired and you know we did this race at Rocky. And I just fucking wish I had the thing so bad because you can just go death grip on the bars and still make the insides of the turns. And, you know, like, cause by the time I was getting a couple laps into this race, dude, like shout out to Todd because Todd was, did not let him prep the track. And it's a, like a legit sand track, dude, this place, like the lines off the track, like cutting the track were rough as fuck. Like that's how rough this track got. Like we were riding outside the cones and there was still knee deep ruts down the straights. And to me as like a clubman level dude to mm-hmm. just be able to take my hands off. Like I stalled a bunch of times every moto just because I was still trying to get to the insides, but I just couldn't, I thought I was pulling the clutch in, but I'm fucking obviously not because the bike stops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's, it, it's definitely a cool product. And I know recluse sells the crap out of them. I know that. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really unique, I mean, what a groundbreaking item, you know, like to come out with a product that like revolutionizes how you can ride your bike. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. Like, um, McCoy's the guy that actually sold me on the thing. Um, cause yeah. he was saying he started using it cause he's like, dude, 30 minutes, like at the, or 28 minutes into a moto at Coolum at a national, everybody's, it's like a, it's like a procession of dudes rolling to the outside of every line because they can't pull the fucking, they're clutching the insides. And then he's just literally just yeah. every inside, just passing dudes like tired as fuck. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's an interesting, um, uh, I mean, it's really, I think it's really neat nowadays. Like you don't have to do a lot to the bike, but you can special like you can really dial a bike into your needs right like yeah. and, and get a lot out of it for those circumstances right like even when it's hard pack if you if you just get off the clutch and you roll it instead of stabbing it you know and you won't break traction so i think it's a pretty neat well that um, with traction control now dude like that shit works yeah, insane bro what the fuck yeah <laughs> yeah it's crazy what these ecus now have it's it's i know I know KTM's working on like the the Wi-Fi system, like Yamaha, um, and and then Honda's got theirs. And I mean, it's it's unbelievable what things what things are doing. I know the the new Cali 250F's got a bunch of um, new goodies to it. I rode that, the new 21 Cali 250F, and yeah, all the bikes are so damn good, but that yellow one, right? The yellow one's still like the price point bike. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what? Like just just to deviate a little bit there, like I actually don't think there's anything wrong with suzuki just being like you know what fuck it guys we're gonna be budget we're gonna come in cheaper if you can't afford a new dirt bike you know we're gonna sell this thing at eight grand it's like they've been running that same fucking setup for i don't know you could probably tell me exactly how long they've been running that setup but it's like they're they're not i I agree with you you know and it's like let's have a let's have a cheap bike that comes in that people can actually afford to go and buy a new bike for you know, I don't even know what a new bike retails for, but like, let's say you can buy one brand new RMZ 450 for eight grand. Like that's going to get a lot of people off, you know, like an 08 Yamaha and like into a more, you know, modern bike that's new and they can sort of start again. And, uh, I don't know that, that they sort of, there might be a market for that in moto. No, I, I think you're right. Like I, I have a lot of friends that I raced with when I was young, they're getting back into it and they're like, um, oh man, I saw this RMZ 450 for, you know, $7,000 out the door. 
I mean, I just looked at it. It's retail value with no rebates is nine grand. Yeah, for so out the door that's too US. Much. Yeah, that's but I think if you go to like a dealer right now, the the rebates are really crazy good. Like you could get one, you could get a second hand one for fifty five hundred bucks because they just aren't moving. And it's a great bike. It's not gonna the average guy can't ride that bike to its potential. We know that that bike's oh, a, a good percent. motorcycle. Yeah, it's a great motorcycle. Not even good. It's a great motorcycle. It's just I think I blame <laughs> I blame KTM for the acceleration of, of, of technology and everyone having to keep up and, and the, and the market bears the price of the bike, right? The, mm. the, the OEMs don't bear the price of the bike. The market bears the price of units. And when you are monopolizing the, the, the market like KTM gas, gas, Husqvarna, like KTM group is they're bearing the price with technology. If people didn't think that bike was worth 12 grand, they wouldn't buy it. They'd mm-hmm. buy the, the Cowie. Well, no, they're buying it. Right, so then the Cowie has to invest in their bikes. Now they have hydraulic cr- clutch that costs more. They have a spring plate, um, high pressure spring plate clutch like the KTM. So they're reinventing, reinvesting into their R and D programs. You know, Yamaha has a Bluetooth EFI or ECU system, and everyone's investing, so it's driving the price up. But at the same time, we look at e-bikes, and in that same note, bicycles are just as much, if not more, than motorcycles. So you really have to take that all into account of what people, what's happening. And, and during the state of COVID, like there's no, as you know, in Australia, there's no motorcycles available. Everyone's purchased them. The two strokes are worth triple what they should be. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird time for the, for the market. Mm, yeah, no, I, yeah, it, it's been crazy to, to watch how everything's played out this year, especially, but man, that's interesting. Like I hadn't really thought about, ktm being you know the reason why we've seen this big push of you know because the bikes like this has been my first new bike that i've uh oh fuck i'm trying to remember when i would have had a new bike man like it probably would have been yeah like honestly i can't even tell you but they're just so incredibly good man and like especially you know to think that i can jump on that 350 and put it in traction control and and i mean i know that thing saved me a couple times like you know have you had that well you've obviously had that feeling where you you know like this <laughs> the split second before you crash you're like at this point sleater knew he fucked up and like i'm <laughs> yeah, like yeah 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 i'm like waiting to crash uh, as a result of me fucking up and then that traction control kicks in and then it's like i'm not on the ground and i'm like dude i know for sure i should have just crashed yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the biggest thing with the KTM is that steel frame. Um, it's not as comfortable as like a Yamaha or a Cowie, um, within the chassis, but it, it, as far as like, if you land on slap down or hard landing, the, the aluminum absorbs energy better, but the safety of the chromoly, it, you can tell where your wheels are. You can understand like, that's why they perform so much better, like track to track in Europe, because when I, you felt this back in the day, you know, those crashes back in the day on, on like your aluminum frame bikes where you like, I don't know why I just crashed. Like it mm-hmm. just high sided me out of nowhere. And that's the energy coming through the chassis and it winds up and it kind of explodes. We're like, the, the chromoly does not do that. Mm. It absorbs, it absorbs energy and it, it lets you know, like, Hey, like you're about to fuck up. You might want to roll off the throttle or you might want to stand that bike up in the turn. We're like a, a Yamaha. It's taking me, a long time to get to where I can trust the bike and know exactly what it does compared to my KTMs. Um, 
they always, I, even if the suspension was off, I knew what the bike was going to do. And knowing what your bike's going to do in a good or bad situation is is ninety percent of the battle. Mm. Well, it's interesting, man. Like you, we sort of were just talking about the Suzuki's there a second ago, and Charlie Costanzo got given a twenty twenty Suzuki or twenty nineteen. The fucking same thing. Um, and he did the suspension on that thing. We weigh about the same, and he gave it to me to ride for the day. And man, I honestly don't think I've ever rode a bike. Maybe just the stock uh, Yamaha 250 that I rode at Townley's. But apart from that bike, I've never been able to get on a motorcycle and accelerate through turns as early as I did on that Suzuki. Purely because I just trusted the thing. Like I just really, mm-hmm. I had a feeling in the middle of the turn, like, yeah, you're good. It's green light. Just fucking hit the gas. And normally yep. I'm just second guessing basically the whole way through a turn because I'm just not that good. But it's like that, that bike, that setup that Charlie had in that particular motorcycle, it gave me a lot of confidence to actually accelerate through turns. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at Barsha and will this, this steel frame to that point, will this, is he searching for something, right? He's searching. He didn't get that on the JGR Suzuki. He didn't get on the Yamaha. Is he going to get what he's searching for with the gas gas, right? With that chromoly chassis, um, well, time will tell, right? But there's each person needs something different. And, um, yeah, I, I like now where I'm at on my Yamahas with the comfort and the, the feeling of my motor. On The 450 engine package is similar to the 350 with just a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. So I like that re- really free revving, like, pipey motor. But the 450 KTM is more of like a – it's more of a lazy power production and I like that like snappy 450 power. So I, I really prefer like that Yamaha feeling. That's it, it. It's exciting to me and I like to ride it where the Yamaha, the KTM 450 is a little more slower revving. That's why I always chose the 350 like we stated earlier. Mm, yeah. That's interesting that you, I mean, if there's any 450 that is, I guess, famously hard to ride and there's just not been a lot of success <laughs> come that way and it's like you're the dude that actually <laughs> knows how to test bikes and is you know you you really know what's going on and you've chosen to ride a bike that's like not the worst bike but in terms of the bike that just has done literally fuck all in racing and you're like yeah that's, racing. That's, that's my horse that's my horse yeah and, and and that's racing right that's a good that's a good statement that's that's in racing right and then in shootouts it's proven to win every shootout right mm. over here it, it wins every four for the shootout um from vital to swap moto to racer x it's winning the shootouts what's happening in my opinion um and that's why factory yamaha's regime of mike Garrett, keith mccarty um dino dave um perry they're all gone they're gone because they were they were they're fucking the bike up from production where roger DeCoster works with the production team on the factory ktm and mm. they leave it very similar to production right and they take they only change what they need to change and they leave everything else the same that works where the factory yamaha team had like an internal battle with production with like uh steve butler travis preston and all those guys and they tried to make their yamaha better than production and they went ass backwards cooper webb was told that he could never ride the stock yamaha that's so retarded. That's, that's, that's so retarded you need to start with a bike that obviously great engineers great test riders built let them ride it let them try it see what they want to change 
but no, they like just take it. They put billet clamps on it, 50 millimeter forks on it, 18 millimeter shaft shock, different chain blocks, different skid plates, different exhaust, different mapping. And they just don't even know where to go left, right, forward. And these guys want to just go fast. They don't want to develop where you have like a production teams in, in all OEMs. They, they take small steps, like 1%, you not even that, 0.1%, make it better, make it better, where Yamaha basically – came to a ceiling and, and then, you know, they've cleaned house. They've now star mm. Yamaha has them. I talked to Rick Gilmore, you know, Ricky, um, and he, uh, he, he's works for KYB. I talked to him this morning and he's out testing with Malcolm and Ferrandis and those guys are so happy. It's incredible. Right. Um, That's awesome. And I think it's, it's just, a, it's a quality control thing. Um, I have some really trick KYB internals on my 450, but I have stock triple clamps. I've stock chain blocks. I don't run a skid plate. Um, I have a very standard chassis with a vortex ignition and stock engine package. And I can't ride the thing for what it's capable of, but I know it's a, it's so handled so good. So I think when you start getting to these factory teams, Eli Tomax bike was kind of did that for a while. They start changing things to change things internally on race teams. People have jobs that they need to justify yeah. their job. Yeah. So they're making they're making big changes to justify like this fabricator's job. This guy makes custom skid plates. This guy makes billet triple clamps and parts. But if he's not making things, we don't need him. So we need to make things for the bike to keep him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a and JGR is like I'm gonna lump them in there, right? We're going back to like Husqvarna, the KTM group. That bike is essentially standard. Like it's a standard offset triple clamp, bigger 52 millimeter forks. They don't chop the subframe. Like it's a very stock ergonomically built motorcycle and look at the, that's probably the most sought after brand to ride for right now. I think we can both agree. That would be the premium team in motocross Uh, and supercross for sure. uh, I agree. It's just as a team, their, their resources, their data is unmatched, but they don't reinvent the wheel with what they're given from a factory because the racing programs involved with production. Mm. So when we did the podcast two years ago, we both spoke about the fact that, you know, like even to me, I'm like, it makes so much sense to give a guy a stock motorcycle and be like, there you go. You got a month on this thing. You get the stock bike with your suspension that will do for you. Obviously, like yep. like a Ken Roxon, he ain't going to ride stock suspension. Like it's just not, it's not going to be good for him when you've got other good shit. So like, okay, fair enough with that. Give him factory tires. I'm, 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 I'm going to pause you real quick. Guess what? He was at State Fair, which AKA Star West. This was what I was, this was, I was yeah. about to say. I almost, <laughs> I almost, I almost messaged you the other day when I saw that, but we spoke about it and then yeah. fucking not because they heard us obviously, but lo yeah. and behold, Ken Roxon's out yeah. there dragging his fucking bars while standing <laughs> yeah. up in a rut. On a stock motorcycle sick as fuck dude and like that it makes so much sense because it's like you're right like you can't go backwards from a stock motorcycle like that is you get it okay this is this is level zero now let's go to level 0.5 let's go to level one level two level three like why the fuck are we just unlocking all the cheat codes on this thing and then you don't know whether you're any good or not yep Yep. Yep. So like, interestingly enough, like 
I talked to Kenny that day and he's I'm like, man, he's like, yeah, man, I'm on stock, stock suspension with some valving and some springs and the bike's good, man. It's good. And they obviously remapped it, got rid of that horrendous bog it had in stock form, but he really was able to fine tune the bike for him, which I think is really important to him building his confidence. Kenny likes a feeling. We know that, right? Mm. Kenny won the, on RCH. He was on a stock Suzuki. That's right. Crazy. Like he rode a stock. He rode stock. He went back. He was having a problem with his bike. They had Sergio, who's a gnarly engineer, building custom things, like once again, justifying his job. And he went, just give me a stock fucking bike. And they're like, whatever. So they wouldn't give him one. So he just went and bought one and was at home in Florida, started going fast. And then basically it turned into two teams. It was Oscar, his mechanic, building his own bike with him. They had that, you know, Tickle and Sergio and all those guys building a factory bike per se. But Kenny won the title pretty much on a stock RMZ. And so what do you think it is that makes these guys go back to the stock bike? Is it just forgiveness? Like just pure forgiveness? Like you obviously need the suspension to hold up in the the size of the bumps they hit, the size of the jumps they hit, and then the speed they hit them at. Like I get that. But is everything else apart from, you know, really getting the suspension suited to the speed that they go at, is everything else just fucking overkill? I, I think so. I mean, it's like you said, like you go to a, a local track, the bumps don't develop like they do at Glen. Well, Glen Helen is a local track, but like for us, but typically the bumps are a lot smaller and whatnot. So you have a, um, if you go to a 52 millimeter fork on a KTM, it's not going to be as comfortable on um, small compliant, small bumps. But when you go to like a bigger bump, it's not going to flex as much. Um so I think these guys, like, they're forced to, to believe they desert, need something that's shiny, right? Kashima coated this and bigger this, and I'm, I'm a fast guy, so I need this. But I think the stronger teams are looking at not overdeveloping the bike, right? Not getting things involved, that don't get anything, don't, doing things to it that don't need to be done. Mm. Yeah, and I think that what you said about KTM um like basically running that stock motorcycle essentially but they're, they're investing in the product itself like i feel like there's a disconnect between it's like the factory let's let's use factory yamaha for example it's like they want to make this factory yamaha and it's like fuck that shit make like the yamaha as good as possible so that when you get a stock one just bolt on a couple things that you need and fucking off you go and then it just makes your brand stronger there's more guys in the general public buying it, which then is going to feed more money into that's going to justify the race teams getting more money. It's like that, that sort of seems mm -hmm. like what, what KTM's done, you know, like, you know, their bike is so good. You know, their stock bike is so good. Everyone, even just the local dudes want to be on them. They've got bulk cash now because everyone rides a fucking KTM or a Husky. And then they can, as a result of that, invest more into their, race team and more into their R&D and put their bike more ahead of the rest of them. So it's like, it seems like the other teams, they try and keep everything so under wraps and under the hood and uh, bikes under fucking blankets. And it's just like, dude, you're just literally ostracizing your fucking customer base. Yeah. And, and you know what, in, in, in Australia, CDR does that, the bank thing the best, right? CDR is a, a very calculated team. Craig Dack does a very great job outside looking in. I don't have any intel, obviously. I don't know him well, but he uses a stock Yamaha and only changes what needs to be changed, right? They have stock triple clamps. They don't have these billet pieces. Um, you look at, like, the success of his riders on their bikes, and it's been a very Dude, that, stock foundation. 
they're probably the only team to win consistently on that 450. Yeah, the they are, it's, it's honestly the. I agree, and it's the best looking. Like it's a great Dude, looking motorcycle it does, every it year. It does look good. <laughs> it does look they, good. Craig, Craig Dak has a strong program, and because and I think it comes back to leadership, right? He's mm. very confident in what he's delivering. Where you look at um, Ferris when he came over to um, uh, ride the factory Yamaha here. He struggled, right? Hate because there was going back to that old regime that was in the states of changing things and doing things, and they thought he was crazy because how could an Aussie bike be better than this bike? This is a fact. Long story short, I mean, I I knew like I I could see it, but um, and then just watching like CDR's platform over there, it's 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 a beautiful looking program. Like once again, I have no intel outside. No, you're you're, I think you're 100 percent right. Like what you're saying is correct. it looks like they, they do a really good job of quality controlling and, and the leadership on that team. Um, once again, outside looking in, looks like they're very confident what they're giving their riders. They know, no, you're not changing this. You only can change this. We know this works. They have data. They don't make big swings where I think when Jeff Leesk left KTM that, you know, and everything kind of folded, there was no leadership down there. And what happens is they try to outdo like the GP team and US team and reinvent the wheel to show them they're making a better product than them. Well, that's Craig Dak takes a stock Yamaha and goes, well, what do you want to change? Oh, I want better traction. All right, so work, let's work on traction. You know, where the, the other teams, like, let's put make carbon fiber pieces here. Like, let's do this. I mean, we'll look at like a JDR, right? Look at mm. dual injectors and this and that because they didn't want to conform to the KTM way. They thought they could do it better, you know, in the engine room. So that then becomes a liability, right? So Yeah, it definitely creates um, like a disconnect. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, it, it definitely was interesting to see, you know, these guys that are out there on, on stock motorcycles and it's like, man, they're just so fucking good these days. Like it's out of control how good all of these companies have just have made these stock motorcycles that you can just buy off the dealership floor. Yeah. It's incredible. Right. Isn't it cool too, though? Like I raced a stock Yamaha for seven months for fun. Like just, I went to Mammoth and raced it because it was capable of racing stock. KTM's the same way. Cowie's the same way. It's, it's really fun. It makes like, it makes it attainable, right? Like you got mm. Benny Blosses of the day, Benny Blosses and kids like that that on the 450 class that can be competitive on a stock production motorcycle. Yeah. So let's talk about some 2020s because they haven't really hit Australia too much yet. Um, 21, uh, 21, 21, 21. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah. What? All right, first of all, Honda, 2021. I fucking Man, love... they let me down. Oh, I know. But before we even get into that, I just love <laughs> the position that Mike Sleater is in in his life <laughs> where he can just talk fucking unfiltered shit on the most anticipated bike of 2021. Yeah. Um, thanks. How's it, yeah, how does, it, how does it feel? How does it feel to be in that position in your career? It, it, it feels pretty good, honestly. Like giving Lee Hogan <laughs> shit last night. <laughs> I was, I was, I would Facetime Lee Hogan because he was posting pictures of his fine girl that he got, just got in his house. I'm like, well, you got a lot of work to that bitch. It's, <laughs> you know, it, it's in in what like I was with the Honda guys on Tuesday. Um, they just rushed it. They 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 rushed it. They didn't figure it out. Um, but as far as me being, all I have is my, my transparency, my word. And I think I don't, I'm a source for, um, I have a blog that I 
update here and there of what I'm doing, but I'm not a media source and I had no skin in the game as advertising, right? So I don't have to protect my words. Swap Moto Live, I'm very fortunate. Don lets me be his voice. It's a credit um, for, to Don for that too. <laughs> yeah, he lets me just, he never corrects me. He never tells me to calm down and he just lets me do it. And I'm not an asshole. I just speak what I feel and what I feel is what I feel. It's not the, it's not the gospel. Um, There's not an agenda behind so, it. No, there's not. I mean, like I buy my motorcycles. I paid $4,700 yesterday from Yamaha for a used 125, right? Like I, 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 I like to be on my own terms and, and not, and not be um, a conflict of interest. Like Chris Kiefer, he's good at what he does, but he's, he, he, he's, uh, he's fake news as far as I'm concerned when it comes to testing. He, he, um, he double dips, he tests for Honda, he tests for Yamaha, then he's a, Mac, a media source for testing. You can't do that. You have to be mm. not, you have to be, when I tested for KTM for 15 years, I wasn't, I, I couldn't use my opinion because I had a, I was biased. I obviously can't, you can't be biased when you're developing motorcycles. I questioned Lee. Lee's a, a good friend of mine, but Lee's a HRC representatives and he's giving feedback on motorcycles for his ADP. Um, and it's like, how do you, how do you have a non-biased opinion when you're getting support from a manufacturer? Mm. That doesn't really, you can't, you can't do that. Right. It's like you, you, you know, your show is sponsored by Nobby underwear, right? Nobby. Correct. Mm -hmm. Is it, you can't, you're not going to say Ethica is better than that. That's a bit of a, you're going to cut the hand that feeds you. Right. Well, I mean, so, even that's, that's sort of the, <laughs> that's sort of the reason why I wanted to buy this 350. Because like, so yeah. KTM gave me this 350 and all I've done yeah. is talk about how fucking dope it is. And then it's like, I just, what, give it back in six months. I'm like, I'm just, I've just said how fucking good this thing is. I'm going to get it yeah, back yeah. and try to get a free bike off someone else. I was like, I'm going to fucking buy this bitch. I at least need yeah. people to know I'm not full of shit. Yeah, no. And, and that's the thing is how it's all we have is our word and our, our transparency. And, and I, I think the world of Chris, I think the world of Lee, they're both amazing at their craft, but like, there's not a lot of money in our sport to yeah. to not to double dip right so so i just and i'm on to different things outside of moto that allows me to play in the moto space still um so when i can be transparent i am right and and um going back to the honda i mean is it fair to say that honda can deliver the most sexy looking bikes you've ever seen like they can they they deliver these beautiful motorcycles like mm -hmm. it just seems every when they reinvent the, the wheel, like the new bike, it takes them 18 months to two years to get it right. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, perfect example of that, bro. You could go right now. If you could buy a brand new 2007 CR250, it would still put a horn on a jellyfish. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's it's what... But going to, like, the state of this, the, CR, the CR450R, the 2021... Um, the mapping was extremely bad at bogs standard. Um, the chassis is really, really keep, off. Keep going, dude. Sorry, I just got to fix this. Yeah. Um, and it just, it needs a little bit of work. Um, like Charlie, Charlie would be able to, Costanza would be able to dial that chassis in relatively quick. You know, Enzo did the suspension for us over here. Um, and man, it, it got dialed in. We got it close. And then Twisted Development did the ECU with the HRC user setting tool. And um, it wasn't a new ECU. It just it was like a two hundred fifty dollar mapping fee that he dynoed the bike and got a map. And it's really good. Like I rode it at Glen Helen Thursday, and it's it's really close. It's a little firm. Needs probably another couple of weeks of testing. But 
I'm excited to see what the factory team does with Chase and Kenny on it because the ergonomics are Honda. The, they are sleek. They're good. The, the riding triangle is amazing. It's just they delivered a poor product to production, right? Mm. Which I told Ryan Dudek, the media guy from Honda US, I said, in a weird way, people still like to work on their bikes because like we talked about the KTM 100%. a while ago. I was like, like, you're like, what should I do to it? And I'm like, uh, 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 nothing, right? Like, there's nothing you can do to it. We're a Honda. I'm like, you do this, you do that, then you can make it your own. And it's even better. That's fun, right? Yeah. That's fun. Like, like it sucks to spend, you know, another $2,000 on top of what you got. But most guys are going to get their suspension tuned anyways. Most guys are going to map it the way they want it anyways. So I'm not knocking Honda. It's just they're more of like it's more of a make it your own badass bike than like a ready to race bike as it is. Right. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. And I think that, you know, it's been like literally your job for the last X amount of years to try and make as best a bike for just standard, just off the showroom floor. But I mean, there is yep. no standard rider. So it's like, it's sort of, uh, you know, you've got to do it and you've got to try and develop these bikes for everybody, but it's just, it's never going to work. And I mean, for me, I'm excited by the fact like, you know, fucking around with engine mounts and, you know, the, the where my triple yeah. clamps are positioned and just things like that, just to see what does feel good. And I mean, honestly, half the fun of riding these days is like kind of going out and fucking with some clickers and you know, chucking yes. a new tire on and just seeing, you know, what you can feel, um, as opposed to, you know, just sort of leaving it and just f floundering around on the track, you know? Yeah. Well, check, check this out. This is what Swap Moto did for the shootout. Like they're all trying to make revenue, these media sources, right? They sold the tires for the tests. Yeah. So basically Mac Max's tire was a title sponsor for the 450 shootout. So as a, as if I was Kate, back in my old position at KTM, I would have freaked out because I never developed that bike for that tire. Mm. Right. Well, they sold the space to keep revenue coming in. Right. That's what you have to do. And I talked to all the OEMs, like what their opinion was. And they are 50, 50 of whatever they understand. They need to make money as a, as a media source, but they also were like, man, this is tough. Well, it was awesome, actually. Like, the Maxxis is a very underrated tire. I think uh, Todd Waters uses them over there. That's what we're um, sponsored by as well. It's a really good tire, underrated in my opinion. Um, I use them. I'm not saying that because I use them, but I was excited to ride all the all the bikes with the same tire, right? And I do say I will give the R&D crew a little slack. It's a bit tough, but um, the, the 2021 Cali 450 is a phenomenal bike. It's just the fork springs too soft for me. Yeah. Um, it was, it, it was close. It could have, if it had a stiffer fork spring in production, it would have won the motor, the ergos. And you can see why Cincerello is so fast on it. it it's a, it's amazing bike. Um, the KTM and Husky are just they're They don't have the comfort that the Japanese bikes do, but they just have, they're, they're just so steady. They do everything at a B plus, right? Mm -hmm. Everything's a B plus. Everything's a B plus or a minus. They don't do one thing at a B minus or a C where the Cowies, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's got a quick, quick motor and it's, it's got a good compliant shock. It's just the forks were soft. And, um, for me, that was a big thing, but for the slower rider, to your point, it didn't matter. They loved mm. it. What was it? What was it, it like? It. What was it like getting to ride, um, all the stock bikes on the same tires? It was good. I actually liked it. Cause I could understand like, he's a real, it was a real, um, a real uh challenge for the chassis to shine right because like 
if you know the the, the mostly the R and D guys that the guys riding don't get to pick the tires, they're usually picked off as price, right? Whoever's getting the best mm. price on tires from Bridgestone or Dunlop. But the 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 Yamaha guys were actually uh, Steve Tatorski and Preston were really blown away how good the Maxxis tires were, and they bought some before the test because they knew they was going to have them on there to make sure uh. that all their settings were good. And, and they were like, man, these things are good. Like, okay, we're in a good place. And the Cowie guys, obviously McGrathy's is Maxxis, and he runs them, and Jeremy's Jeremy, and he's like, I choose to run these because I can. I don't. I could get free Dunlops or get paid by Dunlop if I wanted, but Maxxis is a fun brand to work with right now. They're 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 excited, and um, man, it was cool. Like, I think it was a good. I was thinking it was a good move, not only for the for for Swap Moto Live to have a revenue coming in and and Maxxis to invest in motorsport, but in two wheel motorsport, but also to give a fair shake of like what the bike can do, tire to tire. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is super cool. We've been running those as well. We're actually we've got to deal with them, and man, I I do you can't run believe... the, the ST or the IT? Uh, I got the IT on my bike now, um, just because we did like a yep. bunch. We did just a bunch of riding on this trip, and uh, yep. and I just like I just didn't want to blow through like a, a good tire. But yeah, yeah, I yeah, used yeah. That, that ST is fucking good. I was really impressed by the IT though. Actually, like I thought it'd be quite yeah. a big step back, but it really. It really wasn't. It really isn't. Uh, it, it just has a better wear pattern, right? It, we- yeah. it wears a little slower than the ST. But to my point, if you don't mind getting sidetracked on tires for a second, Mate, you over do here what and you even in do. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Dunlop, Dunlop, I think globally has such a stranglehold on tires, right? They have such good market share that everyone thinks that they should do the best, right? Where you could take a Dunlop out to like, you know, the hardest track out to Pimpama or the hardest track in, uh, or Q- QMP where it's hard pack, right? And a Dunlop won't chunk really. It'll wear, it'll wear slowly. But if you take an ST, and that's a soft terrain Dunlop, if you take a soft terrain Maxxis, an ST, it's going to blow apart in 40 minutes because it's a soft terrain tire, as it should. A soft terrain tire should not last on a hard pack track more than an hour. Yeah. It should be complete garbage. But Dunlop lasts. And so a parent is, is convinced that a soft terrain tire should last like a hard terrain tire. Well, there's no like it's like Formula One or or, or V8 Supercar. They put, for qualifying they put a soft tire on and they go fast for a short period of time. Dude, Jack, so it's like you talk the, to Jack after <laughs> like Jack Miller after qualifying. Like you'll yep. you'll hit him up and be like, oh, how's quality? He's like, oh, dude, I fucking. Uh, it was good, but I did my fast time on lap three of that tire, and like the tire was fucked. Lap three. Yeah. Lap three. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy? So like Dunlop will give a soft terrain tire to the market, and they have such a market share hold that everyone believes that that tire should, every tire should, soft terrain tire should last. Yeah. X amount of right. So it's like Maxis has a pretty big big educational curve to get to the public that. They have an ST and intermediate and a hard that are meant for the terrain. But Dunlop goes, you should use the MX-33. You should use the MX-3S. Like use the soft terrain everywhere you go. Yeah. But you shouldn't. You should use, you should use a soft terrain at Coulomb or a sand track, and you should use a hard terrain or intermediate terrain at a harder pack track depending on the where you want, right? So, I mean, that's just my theory on it, and I, I'm really stoked Maxxis as a brand is is, is badass. Like, the, the, you know, from mountain bike to moto and – it's a really cool brand to be to be a part of. Yeah, man, I totally agree. And and I had people hit me up in my DMs like we've been working with them since I think like June or July that I've been running those. That's tires. very cool. 
Yeah, and they they've been awesome like here here in Australia. But I've had people DM me being like, oh, the soft tire wears pretty quick. I'm like, it's pretty much like a factory <laughs> soft. Like the reason That's why exactly there's, right. the reason why there's like Dunlops, uh, there's like a factory Dunlop. It's because they're softer compound than the soft that they sell. Whereas uh, you nailed it. Like, whereas Maxis, they're yes. giving you like the soft compound. They're giving you like the tire yeah. that you would sort of want to have or like what you would call like a factory tire. Absolutely. No, I, I, it, it's just because like kudos to Dunlop for having such a strong marketing campaign and market and such a big, um, they have such a mar- mar- huge market share that they've convinced everyone that's the tire to have. It's not a bad tire. We're not saying that, but Maxxis mm. is underrated. I think it's, it's, it can, I think the rear tire, I, I'll say the rear tire outperforms the Dunlop. The front tire has a different character than a Dunlop. So depending on how you ride on your bike, it's going to, it's going to work differently. Yeah, yeah. No, it's cool to talk about, man. Like, obviously, for me to say it, like, A, I'm not that good of a rider, and B, they pay me every month. <laughs> so it's like, it's that conflict of interest thing. I didn't know. I, I, yeah, I, don't, I didn't know you used them, to be honest. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's cool. Like, I, I went to Maxis because Jeremy asked if I'd help test McGrath. And then I, I once again could have got free Dunlops as long as I wanted to race, probably, and ride. But I was like, man, these guys are fired up. They want to support the sport. And um, let's let's just start moving forward with, like, let's try something new. And I'm so into mountain biking and cycling. And Maxxis yeah. is the best in mountain biking. So I kind of just went all two wheels with Maxxis. Yeah, that's where, um, like, because I, before I raced moto, like, I raced downhill. And it was always that minion boy. Yep. If you didn't have that minion yeah. on your, if you didn't have that minion <laughs> on your bike, you ain't the, shit. The, 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 <laughs> the minion ss you were you're off the back right yeah 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 Yeah. um so we'll we'll go back to these uh 2021 so the honda yeah obviously uh that's a package that you can make incredible but so you're you're just talking about i think that's maybe something that people get um like it can get misconstrued as well as you're saying it's like a bad bike but it's like no we're testing the bike as it is delivered like if you get on the showroom floor and then you drive straight to Glen helen and you put it on the track with just doing your sag and tire pressures that's what you guys are testing absolutely and i can't wait to do that in australia i'm gonna do it i mean i think we should do it ourselves right like i want to do it with a consumer and um that's how we do it is is we take is Swap Moto Live gets the, all the OEMs come out and they're all prepped like stock form. It's not a potential test. It's on the day, like you said. So the Cowie was absolutely unbelievable. And it went from a, I'll go through the rankings as I did them. Um, yeah. First place to me was the Yamaha. Well, let's go back to front. So I think the Honda was last for me, right? The Honda was last. Suzuki didn't show up. So that sucks but <laughs> we it kind of made it nice because we didn't have to ride it because we knew what it was gonna was it, what it was well, gonna yeah, do no and what it wasn't gonna yeah. do no surprise so they didn't show up but the honda got last for me unfortunately just because it was it bogged it the suspension was really pitchy and harsh and it was just it was a mess honestly it just it was like the the hot chick that didn't know how to dress herself for the date right like it was <laughs> it was really it was it was a wreck like um and then and <laughs> and then went the um ktm the ktm was next and it just it had a little bit of like a harmonic balance like it, it vibrated a little bit for me and the suspension was really good balanced but just the motor up top was, was a little vibrating and like it just just slow revving and then um third for me um 
No, I'm sorry. The Cowie was fourth. The Cowie was next. So Honda Cowie, and the Cowie was perfect, but the fork was so soft for me when I brake that I get it tuck, and that tuck was really scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was scary. It was like a not a very fun feeling, but yeah. everything else was honestly like a nine point five or ten. But that fork was like a six for me, and I it went from like a, almost winning the shootout for me to fourth, and then. The KTM was really solid. Um, it was, did nothing wrong, but the motor was a little, 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 little like vibrated up top because it has a little more air than the Husky. The Husky got second for me. Um, lower bars. They have a lower suspension package on the Huskies. It's a yeah. A so they've got like lower. a lower link, right? So the rear end. No lower, lower. Sh- lower shock. They actually cut the shock down. Like yeah, put a right. shim in the shock. Yeah, right. And it, it was, it, and they had pro taper bars. So it, in the ergos, it just felt right to me. Like. And that was my first time ever choosing a Husky over a KTM. And it just, it felt good. I could push the KTM and Husky as fast as I wanted to go. Like the bikes let me know quickly that, well, if Cooper or, you know, Todd Waters or someone else is on this bike, they're going to go a lot faster than me. Right. Like yeah. where the Cowie, the Cowie was like, this is as fast as I can go because of the fork. Right. So that's why that Cowie and the Honda were so far down, not because they're bad, but because of the idiosyncrasies It just, highlighted negative where the ktm and husky didn't do anything bad it just the feeling wasn't as good as the yamaha has like such good comfortable suspension and the motor is so responsive the mapping's so good um everything is just at a b plus a minus you know it just was so good and but is to that point is it's kind of its potential like you talked about earlier like they do such a good job in production form that there's not a lot of room for growth right mm. um where the Cowie, you add a fork spring or two if you're faster or heavier, and boom, now you're maybe better than the Yamaha, right? The Honda, we've done ECU and suspension, and now you, you really small things, and now they start all ev- leveling out, right? They start leveling out really yeah. quickly. So, so uh, oh, sorry, keep going, bro. Yeah, so that's that's kind of like the lay of the land, you know, is it's it's not a potential test. It's it's on the day. And and Cowie's like, well, we can f- throw a fork spring in and well, well, then now it's not a stock bike. Yeah. Right? Like, now it doesn't work. Um, Yamaha is even kind of getting funny. Like, hey, you want to try this different map? You want to try this different seat? And like, is it coming on the bike? No, but it'd be cool to try, right? I'm like, on another day, I don't want to test for you. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't want to give you information. <laughs> like, <laughs> you need to gi- you need to give me what the, st- what, what the you know, Billy Bob can buy, not what the guy can't get so it's a fun process it's 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 a really fun process it's a long 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 day and kind of a long month riding the bikes a little bit before to get familiar but it's a it's well worth it to be first to market riding all those things and so if you want to talk about the uh potential what would you say is your shootout winner in terms of potential like if we re-rank them in terms of that's a great question that's a great question. Holy cow. I would say what's available to the public and like, okay, there's two things. There's the, do I get a parts credit? <laughs> I think the Cowie is the best bike with potential as long as I get a parts credit. And so what, what, what would you, what would you do and what would you have to do? I would do just a fork spring and some valving on the fork and shock. The motor is, is amazing. And I think I'm, I just have a weird thing that the Kawasaki wears out too fast. I, I've, Dude, never, I've only yep. ridden one for about six months. So that's my hang up. And I, I can't speak from like personal experience. I only rode one for six months, like two years ago. Yeah. But that's my hang up. Chain guides, chain sliders. Dude, what? Um, 
so like that's what I'm so like you taking the performance on the day with potential the Cowie wins then you take the performance and potential of longevity the KTM Husqvarna win yeah right I think I think that's that's the bike that wins because the Yamaha I love it I do love it but the ergonomics are crappy compared to to the KTM Mm. The ergonomics on the KTM are, are amazing. Like the, the Yamaha is the worst ergonomics in the class, but the motor's so good, the chassis is so good, the suspension's so good that it overshadows those pieces. Yeah, okay. But see, I so I haven't spent too much time. Actually, I'll speak on your Cowie point for starters. When I had a Cowie for a year and I fucking hated it, but it was back in I think it was like '09 or something, and like couldn't get the thing jetted right. It was just it fuck. I just couldn't stand the thing. And then my brother mm-hmm. got a my brother got the four fifty, and my dad is we've always had Hondas our whole life, and uh, dad every time I'd walk in that shed, dad was fucking livid because he's like another fucking chain guide, <laughs> another yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. like everything just went yeah. to shit on the thing, and he's just like, how do they yep. sell this shit? I know, and and. and- is it different in 2021? I don't know, right? Like, I mean, I don't. Know I, I don't. But but history has shown that it's not good, right? So, um, the Honda 450, I still think it's. I, I can't give it the the nod on. We don't have enough time and development on that's an all new bike. I think 2022 into about six from six months from now, seeing what you know the guys do globally with developing it and and finding its idiosyncrasies. I think it'll be a good bike, but right now the Cowie would be the leader, just straight performance with just, if you could potentially go ride with, you know, and having a parts budget, I think the Cowie is one of the better platforms. Mm, that's super cool to hear that. Yeah. And man, you're, you're so right though. Like that Honda looks so good. Oh, it's it, a blood red, brand new blood red plastics. I mean, I don't think it's a better looking bike, right? Like they no. are, so badass um the fit and finish of a honda is is unmatched i think and and they, they talk about quality control those things last forever the bolt they change the, they they're the standard of what all bikes chase now with the bigger bolts and the the better quality right so yeah it's it's a it's it'll be interesting to see what comes of um of development on that honda for the factory team dude before i got my 350 I had, I've been riding a 2015 CRF 450 that has 98 hours on it. <laughs> like a death trap? Like a death trap? Dude, no, it's fucking pimp. Like it's, I mean, it's, they're not, they're not that good to ride. Like the front end, just, you have like basically zero front end feel on that bike. Even my mate, Cam, who's a, he's a mountain biker and he's ripped yep. on a mountain. I'm going to link you two up big time when, uh, when you get over here. But like he rides good on a moto and he's, he come in after riding and he's like, Hey, um, what do you reckon's wrong with the front of this bike? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> it's a 2015 Honda. That's what's wrong. With yeah, it. yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's wild. But dude, 90, 97 hours, man. And like, it's still like, it's got a kickstarter, but she still starts first go every time. And like, I could go, I could literally drive to my dad's house right now, pick that bike up, put two hours on it and go put it back in the shed and there's just that that's, yeah, it, nothing is going to go wrong with that bike it, that's honda it's just it's tried and true right like the yamaha is supposed to be i mean i've had pretty good luck with mine but i i grenaded one a year ago at that world's out of nowhere the spit the, the, the skirt broke on the piston so 
Yeah, I think it, it's it's. I keep all my bikes stock as far as motor now, and they last forever. And you know, um, it, it's just basically like a, like a skittle, right? Pick your favorite color skittle, and, mm. and you're gonna be you're gonna be good. So I haven't spent too much time on the Yamaha 450, uh, but the 250F, I think that's my favorite 250F I've, I think I've ever ridden, as along with that Charlie Costanzo RMZ 250. Yep. Um, yep. But I wouldn't want to own one of those a because I got to kick it. Like there's just a bunch of, you know, it's like, well, it's fucking 2020, yep. bro. It's 2020. We ain't yeah, kicking yeah, bikes yeah. in 2020, but the ergos on that bike, it does feel weird, but I feel really good riding that bike. Is it different to the 450? Because I haven't spent that much time on it. Um, it, it's similar. It's actually really similar. Um, on the 250, the 2021 is even better than 250 Yamaha. It's, really? um, I rode that two, two weeks ago. They went to the 450 chassis on that. Um, and oh, really? they updated, yeah, that's the 250F for 2020, 250F Yamaha is all new for 2021. Yeah. They look sick. And, and they're, it's really good, but on chassis, the chassis is, is I'd say it's a, almost a 10 for a Yamaha. It's amazing, but wow. they did take away a little bit of, they took a little bit of bottom end out of, they took that power, that gnarly bottom end power and they shifted it towards the middle to the top a little more. So it doesn't have that vet like grunt. It's kind of a, it's more of a quicker revving uh, Yamaha 250 with a less grunt. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it stacks up against the new Cowie. The 2021 Cowie 250F is similar. Same thing is similar to the 450 with hydraulic clutch, electric start. They improved top end and mid range. That bike's phenomenal this year. I loved that thing when I rode it about a month ago. It's really, really, really good. Have you had a chance to back to back the um, 250Fs yet, or is that still waiting to happen? That'll be next Tuesday, actually. Yeah. That'll be next Tuesday at Kahia. We'll do all the um, all the 250Fs. The, I rode the 2021 Honda yesterday, and it's exactly the same as the 2019. Do, do we need to talk about that? No, <laughs> no, not. There's not even. There's nothing to talk about. They didn't even change the graphics. They didn't even change the graphics. So. Yeah. They had a bid on that. They were trying to rush that full. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. So I think the, the bikes for the overall shootout win, the Yamaha is going to be the one to get. And I think the Cowie is going to be the closest one to, to, to trying to take the win this year. It's a better 250F than 450. The suspension's balanced phenomenal. The motor's improved. So if you can get, it's going to be close. I think the new Cowie is going to be one that's going to shock everyone. The shootout, it could win a shootout or two. That 2021 Yamaha, they took a little bit of that bottom away. Do you reckon that's a pretty easy fix? Like if we talk about the uh, potential, like you can get that back um, or is, is it a big change? I, I don't think it's, it's, it's not a negative change. It's like different, right? They made mm. it, it's more fun to ride because it's like quicker and it doesn't, it shifted the power. I don't think the consumer is going to be bummed on it because it's more fun to ride, right? Mm. Like it's like, it's, it's doesn't get, it doesn't, it's not a short of a, it doesn't read like rawr, and like sign off. It's like re-up. like it, it has like a funner for me. It's better, but it's it's maybe you might lose a little bit of that that guy that wants to be in third gear and roll it on rawr, like a three fifty. Mm. It doesn't run like that anymore. It doesn't run like that. But for like a pro guy, like the race teams are going to have no issue. Like it's going to be only positive because the chassis are so good. It's incredible. The chassis is so much better going from like 
tacky to hard pack. It's it's incredible. Like Yamaha crushed it on this thing, and it was interesting. You know, I didn't know they were even changing it. It looks exactly the same, but it's all new. Mm. New front axle, new frame, new cylinder head, new crank. Like it's it's an all new 250F for 2021. Yeah, that that to me, I've never ridden a stock 250F as good as that Yamaha. And like when I went to Townley's. We did townlies. It was like we were fucking blind after the Supercross. Like me and Sam, <laughs> me, and, we we got in forty five. We got into our hotel forty five minutes before Townley picked us up, and we packed up. Oh. We packed up the hotel room, and then got some sleep. I slept with my phone in my hand, like on my face, so that when when BT called, I'd wake <laughs> up. And then we we drove oh. like we drove like three hours to his house. And then we went straight to this sand track and that was the first time I ever rode that bike and my hangover was gone. I was like, holy fuck, I actually feel good. Yeah. You're all smooth, not trying too hard, just thin blood. Just <laughs> <laughs> the, the arm pump and the shake like leveled oh, itself out. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, they, they've you can see why Star is just dominating, right? Like they they're such a cowboy team. They, they, they just want to win. They, they're hiring every Tom, Dick and Larry and building phenomenal racing race bikes. And it, it's that bike's a great platform to win. And in any privateer that basically loses the, the key, the Yamaha 250F is basically what the KTM 450 is to a privateer, mm. right? If you know, you want to be competitive, you're getting a Yamaha 250F, right? Mm -hmm. If you're if on, in the lights class, if you want to be competitive on 450, you go buy a KTM or Husqvarna because you just know it's going to last good. It's a great power plant and you're going to be competitive out of the gate. So yeah, kudos to Yamaha. Like that thing's, I'm just, I'm pumped for Cowie. Once again, though, like, is it going to last? Like, I, I'm not saying it's not, but like it's the reputation. It precedes, it, you them. know, from Pat. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a bit of an issue with the reputation, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go on record saying it won't last because I don't know. I don't, I have not ridden it right mm. so like for a period of time but it's it, it's gonna be a cool shootout I, i'm excited for next next tuesday how far have 250s come because it feels oh. like it feels like that bike like that that uh platform i guess you'd call it has just come such a fucking long way you know how i know it has come a long way <laughs> i rode the 20 i rode the, I rode the 2021 crf 250 and that thing is as slow as molasses man it is <laughs> it, it's a great motorcycle it's like a great foundation it's like the perfect 250f for a kid to come off like a super mini and getting mm. on like a, a it's that slow right where you get on a 250f <laughs> like a, like i literally i could not believe how slow it was but it it handles good it feels good it's just that slow like i'm not i mean a KTM 125 is faster than a Honda 250F, for sure. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so bad. But, like, it, it but, it, you know, it, it, that's why you don't see privateers racing them, right? Like, because yep. like, you can't. And if you do, get that's a, a bummer. Yeah, it, it's, and that's a, the, the chassis is so good, right? Like, the chassis is amazing and the quality is good, but, like, you got to have, like, a Penrite bike or a Geico bike to be competitive. And that's, 12,000 in the engine, right? Mm. That's not attainable. To, that's not attainable to the average guy. So if you see a privateer with a killing it bike, he's just flipping off everyone and saying, my dad's got more money than your dad. And I want to ride a Honda. You know, that's just what it's mm. the bottom line. 
So. The, the point that you brought up before uh, about, like, if you want to be a privateer in the 450 class, you got to be on a KTM. And if you want to be a privateer in the 250 class, you got to be on a Yamaha. It's crazy. Do you follow that Jeff Walker? Do you, have, you know who Jeff Walker is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yep. that, that dude's a fucking legitimate G in the moto game. And he's, like, insanely underrated. But he, he did this video. Did you watch it on YouTube where he compared lap times on his... 450 2020 honda to his 2020 ktm and he's a privateer and he just he's like i have to get off this honda and then he got on don't quote me people can go look up the youtube video i'm pretty sure it was three seconds a lot faster oh my god that's crazy but i believe it i completely believe it i mean but, I, i'm looking at this guy's platform now and it's it's legit he does a good job like dude, he, he's honestly he's, killing it man yeah he's at a great platform like, yeah, it's it's good. It's really good. But yeah, I mean, to your point, like he's a privateer and it's like he's going and he's doing these nationals and he wants to do good when he's at the nationals. And he basically had to switch platforms because the yeah, one stock with what you can achieve as a privateer, like what you have the ability to change, he's gone. I just need to be on this thing. Yeah, you, you can. And going back to what we, when we first started on this call is 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 a uh, track to track that KTM platform never like doesn't go 2% different. Right. Mm. It's like always the same where I think the Yamaha might be 7% different, right? Maybe mm. 10%. Okay. So you take that into consideration. Like my bike feels good everywhere. Like oh, that's one thing I, I joked was on a, a road trip with my partner and sitting over next to me. And he's like, I went to East street up in NorCal. never been there. Uh, oh, I saw that. It looks sick. Yeah. It was fun, and I came in. Oh man, I love my bike. My bike's sick. And then we went to a track in uh, South Lake Tahoe, um, and it's a little sand pit that Sean Palmer had. You know, him and some friends, and I rode it there. I'm like, oh, I love my bike. Like it's just when you can go from a sand track to like a slick track to a hard pack track, and your bike's always good. You know, you have a great foundation. But if you're tweaking it from track to track to track, you're not stoked. Mm. Right? Like that's that's when you're not comfy. Mm. so one of the things that i wanted to ask you and thanks for the rundown too that's pretty cool for people that uh, thanks man that are looking to buy a 2021 model i literally do not think you could find a more honest review of <laughs> stock buy <laughs> like and that's why i fucking love <laughs> yeah, you dog <laughs> yeah, yeah thanks no i'm that's like i said i'm excited to get to oz and i'm gonna come with no agenda because i really want to keep that transparency right like I always want to earn enough cash on my own to, where I can buy what I want and ride when I want. And and if the opportunity comes up to work with an OEM or, or a dealership or something that it can benefit whole, all parties, that's one thing. But I, I'd hate to lose the credibility of not having, you know, to be mm. a conflict of interest. So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think we could definitely, uh, we, we can do some stuff because, I mean, there's not that many people <laughs> doing that shit down here and i i reckon yeah we'll definitely be able to get some cool stuff it'd popping. be fun it'd be um, fun so with um testing right like like i said it's something that i'm trying to like i just enjoy going and fucking about essentially but like so let's just say for the average dude that's got no idea like what he should do with suspension and like how to even tell if the mo if like how your chassis is feeling and like where do you start being the average dude that wants to like learn your motorcycle like what are the things you should look for what are the things that like how do you even start to gain the knowledge base that you have 
with like the feeling on a motorcycle? Is it something that people can do or like, can build on it or like it's just something you've got to, it's almost a talent in itself or like what would you say to the guy that wants to really get into his motorcycle? You said it in that, in that statement, learn your motorcycle. How do you get to learn your bike, right? And how you get to learn your bike is by riding it in stock trim or how it came if you bought it secondhand and understand what it does bad, right? Don't try to, to um, reinvent the wheel right out of the gate, just like we talked about the factory guys. So I took my Yamaha 450 and, you know, I heard those things, oh, they're not good and they're hard to race, all those misconceptions. And um, I was like, man, I, I kind of like it. And I've, I've obviously rode them before because I referenced them from KTM. KTM owned one just to see if we could, you know, if there's something there. So I, I put a lot of hours on it in stock trim, put my bars on it, put my grips on it, um, put my tires on it, didn't even change suspension yet set sag and then i was like oh i don't like it doing this right so i told enzo i want to change this so that's all i changed i wanted to fix high speed control so my recommendation to anyone is spend time on your bikes and understand what they do bad and try to fix the bad if that suspension guy or chassis guy gets rid fixes the bad but gets rid of something that you liked then you can tell them hey that fixed the wallow or that fixed the kick going that turn but now i can't turn it well then you can maybe you know, you can compensate, right? Well, mm. you can figure that out. So my recommendation is for someone to learn, spend time on your bike when a safe setting and spend time on it, like ride it at like for 20 minute motos at a slower pace and understand what it does instead of going out like fresh off the couch and having a couple of Red Bulls for, on the way to the track and just <laughs> gassing it and not really thinking about it. Like go out and warm up and, and understand what it's going to do and take your time and, have some fun and then go, oh, it bottoms out here. I don't like that. Okay. Well, then maybe you you understand, okay, it bottoms out in that hole, but it works everywhere else good. You know what you should do? Not hit that hole anymore. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, wait, if you're chasing settings and chasing things, then you'll always like, oh, I want it to not bottom there, but I want to have traction on that hard pack turn. That's going to be almost impossible. Right? Mm. Like, so you, you've got to really just, it's a give and take. So I think spending time on your bike and like anyone that buys my recommendation to anyone listening to this buy the 21, um, ride it in stock trim the as long as you can to learn what it does good. So you don't lose the good parts and then fix the bad, right? Don't just go, Oh, this is bad. Well, what's it do good? I don't know. Well, it does this good. It does this good. It has good balance. Well, don't get rid of the balance. If it has good comfort, don't get rid of the comfort. That's my recommendation is to really just understand the base setting of the bike and what it does good and then then get and recognize what it does bad and don't put yourself in those positions because the ktm works amazing in stand it, it doesn't wallow it doesn't kick real bad it doesn't have like a spike or a hook in the shock where the honda has a big hook so you typically gotta like shorten the shock and make a different linkage or different curve so each bike has its own character and understanding the character of, of the, of the, of the, it's like a chick, right? Understanding the character <laughs> of the chick, right? If the chick, if one chick doesn't mind you going out, staying out all night, not calling, then yeah, that's good. But you understood that she didn't care. But other chicks, another chick, well, you have to check in every 20 minutes. Well, if you don't do that, it's going to get upset. So you better start checking in. So it's like, pick your battles between bikes. You know, uh, that's <laughs> so that's cool. my recommendation. It's understanding what the what the, what it does good, and then and then fix the bad. 
So I think though, it's part of the problem, right? So I was riding, uh, I had Adam Bailey ride my bike um, a couple of weeks ago. And then he gets on it and he's like, dude, yeah, I fucking love this thing. But like, it just, the rear shock just like does not sit into the turn. He's like, he's like, go and ride this thing. And I rode Ferris's, uh, one of Ferris's 250, it was like a factory 250F, but it had the cone valves and then the track shock. And then you'd sit and there was this feeling that I got was like, it almost like it just like leaned in so much that you'd have to catch the you'd literally have to catch the lean by like holding the fucking thing wide open. And it was like an uh. uncomfortable feeling. But then as I, I rode it more, I was like, dude, I'm actually just turning fast now because it's like the bike really sits into the turn to the point where I fucking have to like gas it. Whereas mine, it like gets in and it gets sort of halfway in and almost like rebounds out a little bit in the middle of That's the turn. That's what I was going to say. It comes out, it swings up, the shock comes up, then you have to roll off the gas where that shock stays down. Yep. And and you got and you can get on the gas where you have like an opposition, it's like a trampoline, right? You know where you do the yep. double bounce for somebody? Yep. Yep. You're getting yep. that double bounce. And it's like when a bike holds down, it can it can it can maintain that arc. But then at the same time, if you're riding hard pack tracks, you can turn it quicker, like and change direction where his bike's gonna wanna push, right? It's gonna mm. wanna taper away and go. So like it's like finding the better yes exactly so like your bike would tend to oversteer because it has movement where a race bike doesn't have as much movement but it's not as compliant and as comfy right and i'll always tend to lean lean towards a com a firmer setting with and work on comfort within the chassis and like i'd rather have a firm setting so if i case something it doesn't spit me over the bars and so but i guess my point to that is that I just didn't really know. Like once I'd experienced it and once I had somebody like Bailey tell me uh, that that was happening and then I could back to back it with something else, I was like, oh yeah, okay. Like I actually don't, like I want to go in between these two things now, but it's like you don't know what you don't know. And I think that one that's of the... Very, yeah, and I think that that's, that's a very what's good hard. Point. That's what's hard for a guy like me. Like I would love to ride like to know my bike a bit better and i'd love to um be able to sort of test this shit but i almost don't i didn't know i needed it until i could back to back it with something else but it's like that's not really viable so it's like what's the roadmap like do you have this thing where you should say your bike should kind of do this and it's like what are you chasing in you know like chassis suspension um like do you have this idea of good for you and then where do you get that idea and if you don't know all of this shit like what should you be going out doing on a new bike and going this is sort of what you want and then work from that because i just i don't think a lot of people have that base knowledge that's a very very question and there's a simple answer to it it's like having only a macros cheeseburger right if you yeah. only have that, that's going to be the only taste you have. So like your point, you're like, my bike felt pretty good till I tried that. Mm. Right. So the average guy, they can't go and try 18 different shocks. And, and I, I reference from, Oh, remember in 2005, we did this. Let's try that. Right. Cause mm. like that, that, that change. So my biggest thing is always stay. Um, you only know, like I was given an opportunity with a, an amazing company as KTM to, to ride a waves where they're giving me products to try. They were so aggressive that I was trying and trying and trying it. And I, my palate got so, um, 
I have the availability to try so many things that I can, oh, that works, that doesn't work. I want this feeling, not this feeling. So now I have an, I know what my base should be like. Like I know yeah. oh, that moves too much or, or that's too soft and I don't second guess. But for a guy like yourself to answer your question like thoroughly is like, I recommend making smaller changes, like being kind of in tuned and taking notes. Like it sounds really silly, but if you really want to do it right, it's like taking notes, like how's the track today? Is it soft? Is it hard? What's the bike doing? And it, like, if and that's really how you have to do it. And and um, you know, make small changes. Like, let's work on the fork, and then change that, and then like two or three laps come in. And it, it takes a lot of energy to do it on your own. It really, truly does. So, I really recommend staying in the parameter of of standard. Like, all the standard bikes have a good parameter nowadays, and mm. staying within that parameter and trying to reference it. Referencing referencing your bike is really key, right? So, if you can take your bike, tinker with it, have uh, have your suspension guy do your suspension, or buy some chassis parts, and then have a have a friend of yours that has a bike that's close to the same and try theirs and that's relatively stock. And make, oh, I'm going the wrong direction. Go back because when I go test with KTM or any other manufacturer, I start with one setting at the beginning of the day, get warmed up, and then we start changing things. And then halfway through the day, we'll go back to stock or reference and go, oh, we're going the right direction or, oh, we're going the wrong direction. And not every day is a win, right? Mm. So it's like, oh, we're going the wrong direction. So then we start back over and go. And it's, it's like I said, it's very monotonous, but I think all the models now are in a very good direction. And it's important to reference back to what works so especially with clickers right you can you can keep a logbook of what you got and oh i'm lost go back to go back to your stock clickers go back mm. to that re hit reset right just reset go back to stock boom even tires okay let's go all back to stock i'm not liking my bike go all back oh my gosh it was my tires or it was my triple clamp like a triple clamp could do it right but when you're having a good day riding and you got good energy and you've got good you know, your, 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 no in injuries, your, your enthusiasm will over override some idiosyncrasies with your bike usually. Mm, um, yeah. but when you're, when you're tired and you're hangry and you're, and you, you're not having a good day and you're struggling and your, your, your friends passing you that you shouldn't pass you, you immediately lean towards the bike. You don't look at yourself. So mm. it's important to like, like just don't freak out on the day and just always quality control your bike. Like, okay, check it, go back to the reference and start over. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that is a, a good piece of advice. Cause yeah, it's just, it's real hard to even know what, what feels, what, you know, the feeling that you want. Like you're so experienced in testing motorcycles. You've tested for years and years and years, and you've had like a team around you to test. So you've got this idea of, you know, feeling and you know, the average guy, just, I just don't know that there's like really the information out there to be like, this is what you should test. This is where you should start. And yeah, you're right. Like just those basic principles of like keeping notes. Like I don't have a fucking notepad, you know, I'm yeah, just sort of, you, you're just you, pissing in the wind. Yeah. You, I would keep a little logbook, like a little diary, you know, and like you make a change on, on this track, it works good. And that's the beauty of that air fork on the KTM is you can go up like, you know, in a sand track, you can go up 0.2 bar or 0.4 bar. And I can't do that on my Yamaha in, in, in a minute and a half, right? I don't, I have springs. So there's positives and negatives to like different technology, right? Um, but yeah, that's, that's one thing, I go, you know, I, I was 
talking shit a little bit on Kiefer, you know, Kiefer, Chris Kiefer, Kiefer Inc. He does a phenomenal job with his testing about his bias and whatnot. But that's where he is very good is he has a great, um, if anyone's looking for information, he does a very good job of communicating to people on KieferInc.com or something like that. Um, I'm sure most of your listeners probably tune in because he has a wealth of knowledge that he data, he rides three, four days a week still in his mid forties and he's, he, he does a good job with it. Um, I'm not in the position to do that all the time, but I quality control my bikes myself. Like I get it set and I don't fuck with them. Like mm. I, I, and then I know, I know my Yamaha doesn't do X good. So I don't put it in that position. Yeah. Right. Like, like don't try to, to make put the the square peg in the round hole right mm. just don't you can't make a honda feel like a ktm you can't make a ktm feel like a honda like you just can't you know um you gotta you gotta make it your own and work in the parameters what that technology is yeah yeah dude that that makes a bunch of sense and i think that there's a bunch of factory riders too that could probably take that advice <laughs> yeah no it's true right and, and 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 i defend the factory riders almost every time because the teams want to want to um accommodate them right so where roger de Coster does not accommodate them mm-hmm. now this is the package you're running it right like this is the package we win on this package mitch payton very much the same when you're a younger team manager and you're not a, a team, unless he's, he's very good, Tony, he's like, this is our package. It's proven. And it is mm. proven. Right. So, you know, JGR is not proven. So there's a, there's a question mark and the rider doesn't doubt. trust them. Yeah. So like, doubt. Right. And like going back to the CDR team, there's not doubt. You, you, I think the, the Australian way, you go to CDR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, you, when you, when there's, when there's technology and there's, um, uh, um, technology and, and enthusiasm and and whatnot there comes doubt sometimes if it doesn't work yeah dude for sure huh um so i want to just go back to that air fork real quick so for pete like i i haven't really been able to find a bunch on like let's say tuning the air fork because my my shit is still stock actually i got to run yep. some, i got to run cone valves for the race that i did um, which was pretty, yep. pretty fucking sick, but I couldn't feel my hands, let alone my forks, um, <laughs> so, wasted experience. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I'm just back on the stock stuff now when to, to tune the air fork, uh, when should you put pressure in and when should you, uh, touch clickers? So this, the air is your spring, Yeah. like, right. Your air is not your dampening. Yeah. So your spring will position is like, so if you're going down a hill and you're like, man, my, my bike's so deep in the front and the back's kicking, my first recommendation to you is to add some fork pressure, right? Some add some air in the forks to get the front end up, right? So then you're like, okay, that now my position's right, but now it's hard in my hands. That's when you'll go to your clickers and start working on your compression. And you're, mm. and then if you're coming into a turn and you're, it's pop hitting a bump and popping in your face or it's skating. Then you'll start depending on what you want to do. You'll mess with your rebound. Um, but also with that is your rear can affect the front. Right. But I think going to the air fork is mainly is you, it's just your spring. Don't overthink it. It's not your dampening. It act, can act as dampening like as comfort, but it's your, it's what holds you up in the air. Right. Mm. So if you, you let the air out, the bike's got no pressure. It's, it's like a stink bug, right? It's like it's tied down the back of the truck. Well, as soon as you put pressure on it, it starts lifting it up in the air. So if you were at a sand track per se, and you like were really deep sand and you're okay, well, you should probably go up on your fork pressure because you want it to hold up and get that balance a little more 
high in the front, low in the back to keep it stable. If you're riding a harder pack track, which typically most of them are in Australia, you want to run more of a balanced setting. So you want your bike to be very balanced so you can turn it and turn out of the ruts and stay in them. So that's typically when you, you want to just work on your balance with your fork pressure. So if your balance is good, like you're not low, you're not pushing off the bars. If you're not, um, you know, like feeling it's too, 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 uh, tall. Um, if it's not pushing in turns, then, then your fork pressure is right. Then you can start working with your, they're like, Oh, it's too, too harsh when I land. And it's getting that mid stroke and it's, 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 it's harsh in the mid stroke. That's your compression. And then you can start working with your, with your clickers. And so where should, where would you start if like, so would you want to, you want to do your air pressure in your forks first, and then that's going to get you the base and then go to compression. But so where yep, do you, where absolutely. do you put your compression clickers to do the initial, uh, like your spring rate essentially? So like your, your clickers, I would put them right where they come standard, like right in the middle. So if there's 36 clicks, go 18, right? If there's 24, go 12, Quick right? Maths. So start in the middle. Yep. Right in the, right in the middle. Right. And then, then you, then you can start tuning and I go, you know, the KTM clickers are actually very sensitive. You can feel one click actually. Yeah. You right. can. So what I, what I would do, what I tend to do is like, if I get my, if my balance is correct and I'm feeling like it's too soft or too firm, I'll make a big swing, like three to four clicks to make sure I'm correct. Right. Mm. Like, Oh gosh, that was, that was too much. And then I'll taper back too. Right. Like I won't, go little i'll just make a big swing three or four clicks oh that's good and then kind of move into the shock if you're riding sand and you know your bike's swinging back on you you're not controlling it you want to tighten in that high speed compression right so that big nut you want to that 17 nut you want to turn that thing in a half click or or half a turn or a quarter a turn and maybe even a full turn depending on how soft it is um if you're jumping a jump and it's it's landing hard and you're, you're accelerating and it's not working good you want to go to the low speed um the ktm likes um uh lots of re it, it likes um, not a lot of rebound on the shock so it that that uh track shock tends to it drops out like a, mm. like a off-road truck right so like if you can get that rebound quick enough that when you come through those chuck holes that it, it, it drops down quicker like it pushes back down you'll get more traction that way that's like the outside peg, like that feeling of letting it weight down. So it's all about getting that balance and understanding like what you do, you know, and I wouldn't go high speed and rebound at one time. I'd go, you know, like, so if you're riding Coulomb, you'll want to tighten up that, that, that high speed typically in the afternoon because those shocks and most people go the wrong way. They go, um, they go softer, right? Everyone's like, Oh, it's getting rougher. I should go softer. And, and especially sand, you almost want to go the other way mm. because you you don't want the bike to move a bunch. You want it to go. You want to go a couple clicks stiffer, so you're more controlled. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I just don't. I don't know that there's that much out there that really can sort of help with that. You know, like I mean, I've even had a look around on on YouTube and shit for for that info. But it, it is pretty hard to sort of get good. Maybe maybe info. I should do one. I should maybe I should do one on the air fork myself and put it on my blog. I, yeah. I, I've actually yet to do that. My brother just uh, left KTM after 15 years as the R and D mechanic. So maybe we should like join forces and, and, and make a little, little edit for some people. But it is like, it's, those are valid questions. You're not like way off the mark. It's just people use air pressure as dampening. And, yeah and control but air pressure is just your spring it just holds you up right like think of your shock spring right you'll never loosen your or tighten your shock spring to make your dampening right no. your shock spring is just your sag 
that all your all your fork pressure. So I don't even check my sag half the time any day nowadays. If I'm racing, I'll check it, but I don't check it because if it feels good, then I'm good, mm. right? Like like if it's if it's within a couple mil, I'm like, well, it's too tall in the back. Well, lower it, okay. I don't even need to check it. Oh, that feels good. But you know, if I'm pulling it out of the box, I'm going to check it. So I have a reference, but man, I don't even check it half the time anymore. I just run it off how I feel. Like, give me a, give me a one lap of turn on the, on the, on the, um, on the spring so I can get the back taller or give me, take one lap off so I can get it a little squattier. Yeah. Um, so switching gears completely now as to, uh, what blacks are killing it in 2021 what riders are you frothing on at the moment? Who is doing it the best right now? Who is doing it the best? Because it seems like as to far me, as like racing winning, dude. I, no, I'm just talking straight riding. Because I mean, there are some dudes right now. Like, oh, uh, 20... this is Brad. You know who's my favorite? My favorite, Adam Cincerella. Bruh, right? <laughs> you know why I like him because he's so um, he's got that Kenny Rocks and flair, right? Like that when Kenny was like, um, before he broke his arms, that, that scrub, that flare, but then he has this, the, him and Nick Way have worked so good on his technique. Like he has that flare that makes it look unattainable, but then also does things that's like very robotic that you need to be robotic. He has this amazing balance. He's my absolute favorite to watch right now. Cincerello, he's tall, but he tucks. He's got that dip, let, let elbow dip scrub. I think he's my absolute favorite. Um, my worst guy to watch by far is jeremy martin um he's just bobblehead like just meathead hit every bump and then ferrandis is probably the close second i love how that guy rides too so you have two guys you know that are just like i think cincerella is one of my favorites and kenny kenny's rad um christian craig at paula was unbelievable christian Mm. craig at paula was insane like his intensity he had this hunger that i've never seen christian have so I'd say Adam and Christian and Ferrandis are probably like the way, the way that I can see. Like if I could if I could pick a way for like a training a guy to emulate, it'd be those guys. Those guys are just the package. It's funny though, man, because they're the tall dudes. And traditionally, like if you right. go if you go and you look at let's look at tall guys as like Villeman and Preston, like we were never, yeah. let's go back 10 years ago, bro. Because, you, were, yeah, you're right. you were never picking a tall guy to have the best style in the sport. And now all yeah. the tall dudes have the coolest style in the sport. Like technique has changed. And I think that that one Absolutely. of the things that, that I've noticed in, uh, I've just been full technique geek and like ever since I started jujitsu and I realized what technique was and like how you should drill and practice technique. And like, I could see my own muscle. Like I watch footage of me rolling jujitsu now and I'm just like, Jesus Christ, dude, like you're doing like real weird, cool shit that you can sort of like, there is like a technique and it's more so it's not even technique as much as it's just like proprioception. Like my, my leg, like say when I'm taking somebody's back in jujitsu, like they're trying to defend by like closing this space. So I can't like put my hook in to their leg. And all of a sudden, like your leg comes up and out and then the heel just like chops in. And it's like, no matter what defenses they're doing, there's the technique that you work on and that you build and the, the proprioception, the feeling that you have with your body, it's just like, and just comes in and, and fucking no matter what they're doing, they're getting their back taken. And it just gave me this new appreciation for like the proprioception and the technique that these pro dudes have. And it just seems like 
the last couple of years, man, like the sport technically has just elevated so much. And there's like this new riding style. And like I was watching um, when we did that trip to Cairns, we had a, a full-time film guy. So like all my laps were being filmed, which has never happened before in my life. And I was like literally breaking down footage. Like I'd put slow-mos of me on the screen and then slow-mo of, and I sound like a fucking wanker now. I get it. Uh, slow-mo, <laughs> slow-mos of me. You don't, no, you don't, you don't. Trust me. It's like, I, I geek out on it hard. But like there was me, slow-mo of me and then a slow-mo of Chase Sexton. And I'm like, I look good, but I don't look like that. And I'm just trying to pick up the details. And one of the things that I really noticed that it was like light bulb moment and me and Todd had like a 45 minute conversation about it is that when you watch guys like Chase Sexton and you watch these like, and Cincerello, their knee line never passes, not even their toe line, their knee line never passes like the arch in their foot where like their heel, where like the, their foot and their tib fib even meet. And so like, Sexton, when he's riding and he sits from a turn, the first movement that Sexton makes is he basically throws his calf muscles as far back as he can and his knees as far back as he can so that it's just like straight up and even a little bit back. And it's like these little details that these guys are making. And I think that it's this kind of shit that's actually letting the tall riders actually look good and they're they're sort of dominating now like these taller these taller dudes you know it's like they've figured out yeah. a technique to like make the levers really work for them in a way that that wasn't done in the past and i think that that knees behind the toes thing is massive i i agree with you but it's what's what's funny is i said adam i said um Ferrandis, right i said craig but we didn't mention any of the title holders right like osborne yeah, has true. the worst form he has I, Osborne has the worst looking style. I'm like the biggest Zach Osborne personal fan as a oh, person. Oh, dude, he's fan. a lord. He's a lord. <laughs> but, but but I don't want to ride like him. <laughs> I don't want to ride. But he he gets it done, and Tomac he he you know he hammers through stuff and meet, beats his way through it. But Jay Marmont um, was the same. Yeah, it's like I'm very like I call myself SpongeBob SquarePants, right? Like I'm very old school, like elbows up broad shoulders like robotic like i don't scrub really like i can whip it like on the right jump i can i can still crank some whips but it's very i don't know i don't turn down like i i i'm very robotic like two stroke because i always have my finger on the clutch right mm. like, in case it's gonna bog just from all those years it's not gonna bog it's gonna quit right it's not gonna bog um <laughs> and then the clutch ain't stop. helping you son yeah yeah so so I think like you said, like this, this new school way of riding, like even like the old school way, like, okay, put your elbow, uh, elbows up, head over, leg up, up by the shroud. The new guys don't even take their leg off in ruts anymore, right? No. They just, they lift it. They just lift it up, you know, like they lift it. And a lot of it's evolution of power, EFI. Um, like I look at Adam and the way, you know, when he made that growth spurt, like you said, lever, and that was like a big like aha moment. When Adam went from super mini to 250F, he was really tall on a super mini, right? So he would swing off the back of it thinking like that old school way of I'm going to go faster from hanging off the back, right? So, and Dean Wilson's the same way. These guys that built, had bigger growth spurts when they were older, they had to reinvent how they rode because they'd swing off the back when they're like, Dean would do it on his lights bike, right? Swing Mm. off the back of it, hang out. 
Well, what happens is when you get bigger and you have more weight inertia, that lever, you're swinging off the back, right? And like when Dean gets in trouble because he has, um, he shuts the brain off and he gets way back on the bike. We're like Chad Reed kind of changed the game with being neutral, right? Or mm-hmm. I'd say MC. MC was neutral, then Chad elevated that neutral positioning to like being in the whoops and just neutral head over. We were always taught when we were young, get your ass back and lean back, right? Same, like, yeah. like, right. And then Chad comes in head, chin over the bars, butt back as a triangle. Like you said, very much like jujitsu being, you can move forward and you can move back. But if you're off the back, you have two ways to go off the back or way over the front. Yeah. Where if you're neutral, you can, you can adjust, you know, a couple inches either way. Um, but yeah, it's just been insane. Like Adam had to relearn to ride because he's what six two now, and he's got a lot of moving mass. Dean Wilson, he's six two hundred and eighty five pounds, yeah. and big big guy. When he swings off the back of that sixty plus horsepower bike, there's a big issue there, right? Yeah. Where you have Kenny. Well, you got Christian a lot of room Craig to. Very, you got a lot of yes. room to cover in a very like split second time yeah, and it's absolutely. like you, you, you can't recover that like there's too much yeah, too much ground in too short of a time yeah like todd waters is very neutral like almost like almost so neutral it looks like awkward right yeah. like he's very neutral kind of elbows down but he doesn't swing off the back right so it's like the more neutral you are the better he, you can control the bike right like that you can you can lean angle and i i, I think aussies are because the tracks are harder packed majority they're one of the best at controlling like lean angle and turns, right? They sit on the side of the seat. They, they work the bike a lot more than like a typical American that just uses a rut or sand. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's been, it's been real interesting to watch and really try and dissect it. And, you know, to see these nuances now that are like making, you know, making themselves more obvious from a technical sort of standpoint. And it's, been sick to like almost watch a an evolution now yeah and i think the the thing i i, I use this when i coach kids I, I love coaching i like love being a student even myself like i love to be taught right um when i ride and someone i'll ask people how do i look you know i ask mm. my brother people that go to the how do i look and it's not like looking it's like what can i be better at you know what yeah. am i doing wrong and people that people that know you well know you're, I have a tendency to have a lazy leg. Like I don't lift it all the way up when I need to. And then I don't lean the bike over, but in the state of four strokes, especially nowadays, even in 250F is picking up loose change, right? Like if me and you were a drag race down the parking lot, you'd put a thousand bucks and you might be able to beat me because it's a straight drag race, right? There's no turns. There's no bumps. You'd be like, yeah, I'll put a thousand on it. It's just a drag race. But if you were to put like 12 bumps and two S turns, you're like, nah, I'm out, right? Yeah, Slater's so got me what for I'm, sure. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is, is, is guys try to rush the easy, the hard parts of the track and not the easy parts. So like Osborne and like, say, Cincerello, Osborne has been very good this year being efficient and smooth in the hard parts, but gets everything out of the easy part mm. where Cincerello tries to get everything out of every section and mm. that tends to bite him right Cooper Webb's the magician right he looks good he's sufficient but he will take his time when he needs to and he'll 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 wick it up when he has to or when he can so he has a good sense of what the track can hold for speed Zach was very good this year Eli is still not the best at it right Dunge was the magician at it. Like he could ride the track to its absolute potential everywhere. 
Mm. Um, so you look at Adam, Adam's going, say, 50, you know, let's say he goes 80 kilometers an hour on a straightaway. He tries to go 82 kilometers in a turn. It's like, dude, that only can only hold 78K, mm. right? Like where Zach knows it's 78K. Like this in 2020, he knows I can only hold that speed, right? So it's like that's where it comes into play of like getting the most out of each sector of the track within, you know, those guys are also fast. It's usually when they have a bad lap it's corrode the turn and mm. they had to check up and grab the clutch. Right. It's not because they didn't try or they don't have the skill. It's they overrode probably the easy part. That's the, that's my take. Yeah. That's interesting, man. You know what that's kind of in line with? I was, I went riding with Todd. I uh, was sometime last year. We got this like psycho sand track and I just sucked. Like it was dry. I felt shit. I just str- like literally just struggled my way around for like my warm up, And I was just like, this fucking sucks today. Like I'm, I'm over it. And I just said to Todd, I was like, I was like, you know what? Like on a day like this, obviously the swing of his dog shit day compared to my dog shit day is going to be like quite a bit different, you know? But I was like, on a day like this, what do you do when the track, like when you're just not riding good? And he's like, fuck man, just go fast on the straights. (laughs) I was like, I was like, you know what? That's actually like insanely good advice. He's like, He's like, fuck the turns. Just like cruise around the turns and then just go fast on the straights. Yeah. Like that's my advice to any vet guys. Like I call pick up the loose change. If are you walking down the street and you see a dollar on the street, are you going to walk by it? No, I'm going to pick it up. So like, don't go take a fishing hook and try to get the fish, the dollar in the drain down the curb, (laughs) like way down there. Cause you're, you're, you're probably not going to get it without the right tools in your tool bag. But it, you know if on that sidewalk, if it's just the wind's blowing it and you can just grab it, you're going to pick it up. So it's like on the straightaway, point, take your time in the turn, take a breath, look up, keep your knees tight, drop your heels, balls your feet, squeeze tight, head over the bars, and go fast in a straight line, right? Like that's easy. Turn right. If you're not going to jump that double, go fast over the double. Don't just go slow over it. Go like absorb it, absorb next and then go fast again. Like mm. don't complicate the hard parts, make the hard parts, um, a, almost a rest section essentially. Right. Take your time for them and then pick up the easy eat loose change everywhere else. Yeah, man. It was like, it was such simple advice from, from Todd and it, it's pretty much, yeah, in line with exactly what you're saying. And it's like, yeah, yeah just, if you can't ride the fucking turns, just go real fast down the straight. And eventually, like, by just... And I think that the, the problem is, is that it's... Like, Rocky was like this with the race that we did. I just couldn't get momentum anywhere, dude. Like, it was so rough. I was fucking up every turn because I was, like, trying, you know? Like, you'd gather that speed yep. and then you'd go into the turn and then you'd blow the turn and then you're, like, fucking feet are off and now you you exit speed, you practically have none so then you're trying to make up for it down the straight and then you do the same thing and but it's like you almost need to do the exact opposite like just go fast on the straights slow through mm-hmm. the turn and then give yourself an exit and then have a crack at the like the the next section with you know like you said just hit hit the fucking top speed yeah it's 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 and i and like i i don't know it's my son would race me down a straightaway right like yeah. but then it's like, so race down the straightaways. Don't overthink. We'll work on the hard parts later, but don't most, you're probably trying to rip the rutted turn and the wheel yeah. tap that bump. And then you're recovering down the straightaway. Right. hundred yeah, percent. So it's, And that was like me in my earlier supercross. I was so worried about the whoops. 
I'd do dog shit the whole other track. And then I'd get to the whoops and here we go and try to send it. Then I'd hold my breath for 20 seconds and then I'd be, you know, and it's like, I should have just ripped the whole track and then found the best, most efficient way through the whoops. Right. Mm. So like, that's my, yeah. Waters is exactly right. Just point and shoot when, if you're, if don't rush a section, like, you know, and, and also have a plan for riders. Like if you have a plan of attack, like, you know, I mean, jujitsu is the same way. You're a student of the sport. It's like, well, if I go, you know, having a plan and t- like before you take off, you know, the pros get a parade lap, but club days, you don't get a parade lap usually. Right. So do what you can to look at the track and have a plan. Like first turn, I'm going the outside. Second turn, I'm going to go the outside again. Third turn, I'm going to go inside and I'm going to jump that double and do this. And if you have a plan in your head to do the track at one speed and then if, and you're hundred percent committed, you're better off going the wrong line, hundred percent committed the first lap than 80% committed the right, the uh, right line. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause you're like, you're getting the turns now and correct me if I'm wrong. You go into turns like inside, outside, inside, outside. Oh shit. I'll go outside. And then you typically might even tip over cause you didn't anticipate what was there. Yeah. But if you had gone, I'm going outside in that turn, you're going to go outside and rip it. Right. So have a plan. That's why everyone rips their local track so well. Cause they know it by like the back of their hand. Yeah, I'm true. going outside here. I'm going to double that bump. I'm going to jump that triple like, but when you're, you know, at a racetrack that you're not familiar with or it's developing different, you don't have a plan for it. So I always tell kids like ride or, or, or kids or other athletes, like sit down on the line before the, before you start your bike, run a lap in your head. If the lap time is a minute 30 for you on the track and you do a lap in your head and it takes you a minute 10, you rush that lap. You're probably going to crash. Mm. So you should be able to ride that lap in your head at roughly your same lap time. Right. Like, yeah, come out yeah. of that turn in second, grab third, going to shift the fourth, going to come through that section, downshift the second, going to come back up. It should take you the same amount of time and be prepared than, um, than the other, than the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. no, that that's, yeah, that's really solid advice. I think the other thing I've noticed that I don't do is like, I just don't really change much shit in terms of riding. Like I rode at my buddy's house, Azza, and I was hitting this rut in second gear all day. Like, literally, the two days I rode there, I hit it in second gear, and then Wade Hunter rode my bike, and then I was like, oh, that sounds different. He's like, oh, I'm hitting it in third. And then I hit it in third for, like, the last 20 minutes of the day, and it was, like, insanely better. And I'm like, fuck, like, I feel like everybody should just do some different shit. Like, the, you know, when you're on your warm-up, like, hit it in third one lap, hit it in second the next lap, hit this different line in there. Like I'd never really deviate away from what I think I should do, but I just sort of need to understand that. I don't know shit. Well, here's why. And I'll, I, I defend you and pretty much 98% of all motorcycle riders that want to be better. We go to a club day or a open practice day, right? It starts, it start. we get off work and we get there at four o'clock. Okay. They open the track and everyone starts getting out there. Well, it's like getting on the freeway on the 91 at five o'clock. Everyone's <laughs> hauling ass. We're like, yeah. oh shit, I gotta, I gotta go. So how do you get to practice, right? So if you talk about jujitsu or footy or anything like that, you practice things. You practice, yeah. you know, plays. You practice, you know, a maneuver. You, you don't just scrimmage every time, yeah. right? Yeah. Like think about it. Like if you have a match, like I don't know jujitsu, you call them matches, right? Like, yeah. You don't have a match every day. You practice movements. You practice form you practice drills you stretch 
you do things to be better. We're moto. We just go do motos. We go moto, moto, moto. That's not the best way to be better. So like, that's why the GPS and the MTFs and all these places are, are, are really good for younger riders because they actually practice so much skill, right? Yeah. It's a high, high intensity skill section, but how do you practice skill on open practice day? You, it's really tough and dangerous cutting the track. Some tracks don't let you cut the track to work on a section. So the best is to find an open paddock, make a figure eight, you know, and work on the stupidest simple things, mm. you know? Yeah. You know, no, like do work on drills, like basketball players. They practice free throws. They practice passing. They practice dribbling. Well, we just go, let's go faster, but we don't actually practice things that make us faster. Yeah. And that honestly, like this, like I sort of said earlier, that whole deal has come from jujitsu. Like I've done the thing that when I like last year or the last two years in comps, I won every single match. It was like 30 something matches in a row with the same fucking submission. And it's like, I, there was, there was two that I've won with something different, but they were both the same thing. So I've literally got like an A submission that I won 30 plus fights with or matches and then mm-hmm. two matches what i won with my b submission i've done those fucking things so many times dude like i know i got long ass legs i'm good at triangles i i know a hundred different ways to die in the west with a you triangle you know what i mean yep. and it's like so then i just i've practiced it and practiced it and practiced it and practiced it because i'm like okay game time i know i need to be good at this like this is my highest percentage thing and it wasn't until I really figured that out where I was like, I have never in my life done this in moto. Like essentially it'd be just like going to a jujitsu gym for the first time and just rolling and rolling and rolling. And yep. it's like, you yep. could get, you could get good. Like, I'm not saying that you can't get good. And there's guys that do get good by just going to the gym and rolling. But like my, my coaches, they do fucking drills. Like they do drills that take like three minutes. They're doing like this and then this and then their part they tell their partner i want you to escape like this and escape like this and they just keep mm-hmm. chasing and chasing and it's in a drill format and it's like the commitment that they have to these drills is just like razor razor blade sharpening their their technique so that it's like i said it's that proprioception you know it's like when a bike kicks left you've done it so many times that you know, you've drilled that section or you've drilled exiting a rut that, you know, you've had the thing kick out on you so many times. You've had the front pop out on you so many times. Like you've had it slightly tuck. It's like, you've got this natural reaction. It's, you're not in this like kind of survival mode of a moto every single time. And, you know, from, from jujitsu, it really made me like, look at it differently. And like the last time I was at QMP, I hit the same rut. I was like, what's the shittest rut I do on this track? And it was this sort of double, mm-hmm. double apex thing. It's like a sick turn and a bunch of people hit it good, but I never hit it good. So I did it 40 <laughs> times. I hit it 40 times in a row. I just, luckily it was Thursday morning. There's no one really there and I could cut the track, but as to what you said. And it's like, I think there's this mentality too, that, that you have, it's, it's exactly what you just said, where you think that, you know, you're on the 405 and it's like you get on the exit you you pull on the freeway and then it's like <laughs> you're on it in you all go. the traffic until you pull off and then that's pretty much yeah. what that's pretty much what it's like when we're sort of just going out doing motos but man just the improvement yeah. I, I hit that i hit that one right 40 times went in got a drink come out i was riding the rest of the track better 
like in like yeah. insane amounts better so let me throw this at you so like i'm a huge cycling and mountain bike guy right so like moto guys like thursday at Glen Helen before the nationals there's like half the fields out there smashing motos right at high heart rate burning calories beating their bodies up then they got to come home they got to they got to you know rehydrate they got to recover they got to pack their food i'm sorry they pack their gear eat dinner get on a flight at sunrise I mean, you've done this rat race right yeah. get on a flight get on a flight at 4 a.m fly across the country in bad air lose two three hours of time maybe four you know have swollen ankles and then go race the next day if you told a cyclist or a mountain bike racer hey you're gonna go do a full-blown hour xc race at the highest heart rate you know high heart rate and then race again the next in two days they're like no way we can't do that we're gonna be smoked right mm. like we can't do that this is where our sport is bad like we demand so much out of our bodies in moto because it's so talent-based with, and then the fitness is right there that they, we need to taper. Riders aren't tapering their bodies. So what Gareth Swanepoel has done, and I hope he doesn't get pissed me telling everyone, but what he does is called tempo training, right? So like for cyclists, you'll go out and ride at your heart rate, 130 to 140. Like you're, you're, you're burning calories. You're, you're bur getting good blood flow. You're, you're working hard, but then, you know, you're getting good muscle memory, but you, you're not overexerting yourself, right? So how do you mm. do that with moto? It's really tough, right? Because like your heart rate spikes right away you, and you don't want your competition to pass you because they get confidence and you might lose confidence. What Swanepoel does for the star guys, he has a day a week. They don't get to ride without, they, ride, they have to ride without a clutch and a back brake. Mm. So that way they can only push so hard right? So if you have all the tools in your tool bag, your clutch, your brake, your bike's normal, you can push your body and your bike to the absolute limit, correct? Mm. So if you take away the clutch, well, you only can go into a turn so far. Well, we both know that if you don't use your clutch and you go through a turn good, you're a legend. Like you can just rip the turn, carry your roll speed. If you don't have a back brake, you're also going to get more roll speed. So Swanepoel's done a really cool um, thing where he and their heart rate doesn't spike because they can't push themselves because the bike doesn't allow them to push that hard. Mm. But what's happened is I got served up some by Colt Nichols and McElrath. They went by me like mid season at Paula and I was out there riding around and I, I still ride. Okay. And they went by me like I was standing still. And I, and I, as Shane's like goes scrubbing by me on this jump, I look at his clutch lever and it's sticking straight up in the air mall. That fucker just passed me like I'm standing still with no clutch or, or back brake. I have full control of my bike. And that's what a lot of those things, and their heart rate's not spiking. So he's figured out a way to not only better their better their craft by riding, by not skidding with the back brake, not overriding the clutch, but he's also making sure their body doesn't overexert in mm. that, that day riding. So it's like you can do drills. It's a drill. It's not mm. just motos. There's a drill and there's a, there's a plan. So I think our sports very technically advanced with motorcycles. We do, you know, VO2 max, we have training programs, but the very nuts and bolts of what we do, most, most trainers aren't even training the riders the right way. They're going faster, faster. Well, how do you get faster? Can you mm. tell me? Uh, Alvin Baker is not going to tell you how to go faster on the bike. He's going to build your body. You need to figure that out on yourself you know, like on your own or have a riding coach. We're like Villamins, a riding coach for Ferrandis. And 
There's other guys that are writing coaches. Michael Burns, Michael, like a writing coach with anti-manager, right? Nick Way, there you go. He knows that they all know enough about training, but they're mainly a writing coach. Look what Nick Way's done with reinventing Adam's writing, you know, like, you know, the, the weight, just uh, proportion, all his technique. He, 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 he's got, the, he sucks the most out of Adam. So my, my advice to everyone is really practice craft the best you can. Take your pride, check it at the door. Do laps with no clutch. Do laps with no back break. Um, really work on things that actually can make you better than just doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Yeah, no, I totally agree, man. And that's been, I mean, it sucks that I had that, that fucking crash. Um, I literally crashed the 350 running it in, dude. <laughs> you know what you said before? Oh, that sucks. You know yeah. what you said about uh, the chromoly chassis like not as forgiving if you like land yep. sideways? Yeah, I found that out. Yep. I literally just, Ugh. I got kicked. I basically was like, just going to case like this sort of long and low sand roller type thing. And I was like, I was like, oh, this would be fine. 98, 99 or 97 hour Honda. This thing, yeah, this would soak this bitch up. And then I just landed like <laughs> the littlest bit sideways. And then it fucking bucked, dude. And then there was a fence like literally to right to the side of the track and it pointed me at the fence. So then I had to grab a handful oh. to like miss the fence and then hit the next fucking seat, like just out of control cartwheel. But I mean, that was, this has been my whole 2020 is of riding has been like, really just trying to dial in actually riding a dirt bike good because it's like i'm at the point now where i want to get a bunch more years out of this shit and it's kind of hard to uh it's kind of hard to to get a bunch of years out of riding a bike if you're fucking crashing every three rides and fucking yourself mm -hmm. up you know and it's like i really yeah. and i just don't think i've invested in my base uh as much as as i should and you know you look at these guys like like chase sexton dude like the way that guy rides a dirt bike is fucking insane man and it's just and, so and technical say, and, and i didn't say him and, and I, i'm embarrassed to say i didn't say chase is one of my favorites and he's not one of my favorites here's a reason why because he makes it look so damn easy oh like, yeah it's he's so, taking it to like, the extreme like, yeah yeah like 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 it's so unattainable to me to ride that smooth at that fat, that speed. Like, do, is, it, is he doing anything wrong? Hell no, he's doing everything right. But to me, I just like, I can't even fathom it, to be honest. That, that's why like Adam has this, like he makes mistakes and he looks squirrely. So sorry to cut you off, but that, no, I just want to no. make sure people knew like, like Chase is insane, like next level. I'm a big, big fan, advocate, everything Chase Sexton. Yeah, but you you are right though. Like he he rarely steps outside of the box. And what's what's crazy? Like me and Townley have had this conversation a bunch of times. Is like, I feel like your technique that you have and your correct because all technique is on a dirt bike is it's like the body is this one massive weight, and then the bike is this other massive weight. And if one's going this way and one's going that way, it's going to cause a problem. So like, you've got to find this unison and it's like this real time gyro stabilizer that basically you're trying to compensate with your body at the right time for the right place for the bike. And there is, there is the point where that is like physically optimal. And then that's like your base of how fast you can go essentially, because you're going to feel like you, you the bike is going to sort of stay underneath you and then but you look at all these guys and i think that that point is lost
because like you look at a dude like Jeremy Martin, like you just, you answered, you know, like when you spoke about him, he's just gone, da, 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 fuck you. And it's like, he's pulling it off. But there is a base of technique there where he is putting his body in the right position at the right time. But then he's doing plus, 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 plus. And it gives you that look. So you think he's just that fast without technique. There is technique there, but then he's pushing it that extra bit further. I think with Sexton though, what he highlights is that what he's doing is pure technique. He's not stepping outside of that box, but his technique is so good. He doesn't have to. I, I, I completely agree. I think, like you said, Jerry Martin, you can't ride a 450 that way. Like, if he doesn't nah. change like the narrative, he'll never Daytona succeed Supercross. like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm, that proves me wrong, I guess, a little bit. But no, he like, fucking cartwheeled in practice like two it, laps yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, did you, were Wait, you there it's for like, that? No, no, but didn't he hit the podium? Yeah, he, didn't he, he did. He, there on... Yeah, he did well, but dude, like we uh No, was... it's just it, it, it's it's just an unattainable um like you can't do it forever like that, exactly, right? Yeah. You have to change. And, and another thing is the way how fit that guy's numbers, his physical VO2 max and his numbers that his body allows him to produce um are off the charts. Like he can do the Tour de France how how fit he is. Yeah. So the way he rides actually correlates with his body also. Yeah. Right, like, 100%. like, well, Ferrand, I think Ferrandis has like a, a very unique, as in not indifferent, but like a different, but not in wrong, is he can ride that very French light feel, but also just when it's time to let just get outside the box and get uncomfortable, he's willing to get uncomfortable, right? Mm. Um, Christian Craig, we all, oh, he's so smooth. So I think he's gotten tired of like so smooth, so pretty, and that's why I said Christian, like at Paula, he actually was jumping to flat you don't see Christian doing that that, that often, right? It's like yeah. his technique would always, the guy that really kind of comes to mind, you know, um, in our era, there's a guy earlier than that, Ron Lachine, the dogger. That's why he was so smooth. He looked slow, but Josh Hansen, right? Mm. Josh Hansen was the same as Christian, right? As soon as they made a mistake or got outside the box, they would, they would shut it down. So to see Christian, this summer be hounding Tomac and getting outside that box each a little bit each week and getting uncomfortable. What do they say? Getting comfortable being, being uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very, well, clearly Martin is Jeremy is very comfortable being uncomfortable. That's, that's, right? his, he, that's his spot. That's his, if he's comfy, he's not going fast. We're like Christian. If he's really uncomfortable, like he's gonna, he's probably gonna get hurt because he's gonna turn off. So, different and that's what the sport is so cool is there's so many different ways to skin the cat i guess you could mm. say right like i think that's why we're all such fans of it because no one really has it there's not a playbook that you could just say this is how you have to do it right you can you can be a j-law in the right time the right season and win you can be yeah. a you can you can be a, a zach osborne and sit too far back on the seat and win a national championship that he was never supposed to win and two lights titles right like there's so many different ways to skin the cat that it, it keeps us all talking about it. So I think that's why I, we all love the sport so much. Well, Mike Slater, I love you as a Gypsy Tales guest. <laughs> Thanks, my man. Well, I'm looking forward to having some bench racing sessions uh, come 2021 in-house.